I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> That's like your opinion, man. Dude, all right. Coming to the show, my good friend, my brother, Keith Rouse Jr. Keith Rouse, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brendan. It's a pleasure, <laughs> Dude, man. Thanks for doing this, man. This is fun. We're out of studio today. We are, we are remote in Atlanta. We're hanging out in the jam space of Bad Guru and Yo-Yo Mama. That's right. Got to thank Joe for letting us record down no here. No doubt. The house band, man. we got a great setup down here. We were just talking about the amount of gear that piles up. It's, piles up it's in here. incredible. <laughs> it really is. It was funny. Like, just kind of walking around. I was like cleaning up this couch, which was my bed last night. And I picked up an acoustic guitar to move. And I was like, oh, it's a fucking old Gibson. Yes. Yeah, it's like dude. a playground down here for yeah, a musician really or anybody yeah. that likes to fuck around with that sort of stuff, man. Plug anything you want to plug. Oh, man. I don't have much to plug. Um, I know you got a. A show tonight at the Laughing Skull Lounge. That'll be fun. Um, I'm scheduled, I think, the 19th. I'll be up at the Laughing Skull Lounge. Anybody who wants to buy tickets, go get them. Um, and we'll have more dates coming. you got to check my social media. Which is? Keith Rouse Jr. on Instagram. I don't do Twitter. I'm not on the Facebook. Um, good. It's a good yeah, call. Absolutely. Same. Just strictly I, Instagram. Dude, that's how I roll nowadays. Like, Twitter was like, I tried it out. I was like, I don't really like this. I did like the sort of text-based humor of it. I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm like, this is right for me. Facebook is just fucking old people complaining about other people's kids and their their health concerns. and It's a cesspool. It's, yeah. I, I think I got on Twitter like in 10th grade. I was on there for like three days and just got off. I, I did not get it. Obviously, everybody else got it. Yeah. I think I was yeah, alone yeah, yeah. in yeah. the, what the hell is this? It seems like it caught on with everybody else. Um, Dude. The Twitter stuff's bizarre right now, though, with Elon Musk and, like, yeah. the blue check marks. That's yeah, what yeah, everybody's yeah. talking about. What is, it's like you pay, like, a subscription to have one or something? Is that the thing? As I understand, now you're talking to a guy that has never been on Twitter since 2012. But so an expert. Yeah, no, clearly. I know <laughs> I know from top to bottom. But as I understand it, he thought the whole verification process was BS, so he wanted an $8 subscription to get a blue check mark. But it's a good idea in theory, but in the first week, like, being a sports fan in the sports world, so many false reports were verified and like talked about on ESPN that were complete and total BS. Like, right, right. Guys that paid an $8 subscription would post something like some coach was fired or some crazy thing happened in a locker room. And because of how people were so used to it, it would all be gospel. Oh, this guy's got yeah. a blue check mark. He must be a legit writer, legit editor, knows his stuff. He's a beat writer. But no, some of it was malarkey. So when it turns out, like actually maybe having a very strict process in terms of giving a verified account to somebody was a good idea yeah i mean it's true it's, who can't afford who can't afford eight dollars a month exactly you can be know. a homeless guy and afford eight dollars a month i guess he's also elon's like trying to make it profitable i think he like yeah. looks at a business and he's like okay i just bought this however much he fucking spent on it and then it's like he looks at it as like a, i guess a business guy how do i get a return on investment make everybody pay eight bucks you know it is crazy how at first because he it's twice now he's tried to buy it. and the first time it was like oh, i guess that was just a crazy news story but then he does it again. And it's like he he's committed to it. He wants it. It's he true. wants it. I think it's just so it's crazy. So what's really interesting is how I don't know, call it the left or the right, how media takes Elon being a multi-billionaire. I think he's the richest man in America. I think you he think so? overtook yeah. Bill Gates. I really do. But anyways, him buying a news source or a media source, it's not news. Like Citizen Kane, the movie is all about a billionaire buying a news source and influencing the public. I mean, Bezos owns the Post. Like, mm -hmm. this is not a new thing. These guys right, are right. multimillionaire tech giants. It used to be newspaper giants, but now it's tech giants by the public squares that we, you know, talk about shit. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, they are worried about they worry about influence, but 
everything we read, everything we consume today is influenced by a, oftentimes an individual and his surrounding team. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Speaking of Citizen Kane, <laughs> that's the one thing I latch on to. Yeah. Dude, all right. This was never supposed to be a sports podcast, but almost every single guest I've had on since I've like sure. started back has been a sports guy. Die hard Talk sports to me guy. about rugby, dude. <laughs> oh, rugby's cool, man. Rugby's crazy right now. The World Cups are coming up in 2023. Yeah. And it's like a huge deal. Um, So... I'm a big Ireland fan. That's like where my family originates from. So I tr- I tend to pull for Ireland. Obviously, I pull for the U.S. But it's just like soccer, where mm-hmm. it's like all our athletes play basketball, football, hockey. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're not interested in playing rugby or soccer. So at the world level, we don't show up. But I tend to pull for Ireland, Scotland. I like watching England. They all kind of play the same. Um, but I guess the coolest part about World Cup rugby is you can see different styles of play from South Africa to England, to Australia, to New Zealand. Like, mm-hmm. they all play the same sport, but they all play it completely different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see on the world stage. And, like, I mean, it's not known here in the pop culture, but right now the rugby world's, like, on fire. Like, uh, on Saturday, um, Australia lost to Italy. Italy has forever been one of the worst teams in the world. Like, mm-hmm. And Australia's always in the top three, top four in the entire world. And then New Zealand, the All Blacks, everybody knows them because they do that crazy haka. Dance mm-hmm. like before, kamate kamate ah. Well, and they were like shit. they were featured in the the rugby movie. Exactly. What yeah. was it? In, oh, the, you're thinking of Invictus. That's Invictus. A, yes, yeah, they yeah. are the opposition to the South African team. Yes, but they recently just got beat two out of three times at home in New Zealand by Ireland, which has never ever happened. As a matter of fact, I don't think they've ever been beaten on their home soil. Really? Until just now, and this is like an ancient rugby program. So, it's really really exciting for the World Cup. And then the other thing I'll say about rugby <clears throat> is that. The average size of a rugby player across the board is probably like 6'3", 245 pounds. Jesus Christ. It's a physical, physical game. They're not huge like these tackles you see in the NFL. But the NFL, obviously, bigger guys, mm-hmm. look stronger, more intimidating fellas. But the average rugby player runs as far as a soccer player does in a game. Right, yeah, So yeah, besides yeah. the physicality aspect, the stamina, yeah. I mean, football plays last three seconds. Right. And then you get a break. And yeah. And you play another three seconds and you get a break. And not everybody's running downfield. Rug- yes, and rugby is 40-minute halves of succinct play. There is no breaks in play unless the ball goes out of bounds. There's no there's no timeouts. Mm-hmm. There's no nothing. It's 40 straight minutes. It's a lot like soccer. Um, so not only are they tremendous physical uh, athletes, but they also are just unbelievable endurance athletes. It's fun to watch. I think it's the most athletic overall play of any sport you can sit down and watch, besides maybe hockey. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about, so, yeah, I'm always fascinated by those sports that are so cardio intensive where there isn't a break because obviously in hockey you have line changes and those typically occur like minute, minute and a half. Um, if you're out on a hockey shift for like two minutes, that's a, that's a long what shift. What blows my mind in hockey is how guys jump out and jump onto the like what is yeah. the rule like because sometimes so, you'll see a guy still getting off the ice and a guy will jump on like before he gets off and that's dangerous it's, it's sort of like you can't play the puck if you have more than like you can't okay, be gotcha. like if some, if somebody's coming off and like they're coming off the ice you're jumping on the ice and you go to play the puck and that guy that's coming going onto the benches and off the ice you can get called for too many men gotcha. so you're both in limbo till the other it's sort of yeah and like i mean i've seen it before like a lot of teams they'll get possession in their own zone and they know a line change is happening they'll send it towards the other uh the other team's bench and just hopefully hit somebody 
And then you get called for too many men. Yeah, well, that's interesting. It I seems like the that. Maple Leafs get a, a too many men on the ice penalty like once every four games. Wow. It's pretty frustrating. But what's also interesting about rugby is uh, there's it's 15 against 15, <clears throat> and there's not rolling subs. So if you come right. out of the game, you're out of the game. Okay. Like soccer. Where but you have, like, you have backups. Yeah, there's backups. I think that every team sports 23 guys. Okay. So you have 15 dudes on the field to start the game, and you can use the remaining eight however you see fit. Um, but yeah, if, if you come out of the game, you don't go back in. So it's not like you take a break and rejoin the game. If you're out, you're out. That other guy's on the field. A lot like soccer in that way. What's the what's the ba- run me through like a basic drive in rugby? Like so, how does it work? So the, in rugby, I guess the easiest way to start is it's, there's forwards and there's backs. So there's guys typically that are 230 pounds plus. Those would be your forwards. Those are your big, strong, powerful guys. And then everything 220 pounds and lower, those are your backs, your fast guys. Try to get them out in space. So what you do in rugby is when you receive a possession, you get the ball. You run what are called phases. So initially, you get the ball to the big guys. Try to suck in as many bodies as you can on those tackles to free up the backs in open space. Send the ball out wide. See if they can't run it all the way into the end zone. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I should just do a succinct breakdown of how it all works if you really want to, like... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 15 on 15. The game starts with a kickoff, just like uh, football, except it's a drop kick. Mm -hmm. Um, Another interesting thing is when you score, you get possession. Mm -hmm. So when you score, the team kicks you Make it, take it. Yeah, it's make it, take it. Exactly right. And uh, every single time there's a tackle in rugby, there's a fight for possession. So when you're tackled and you have the ball, you get one move. You either move it back towards your own team or you move it forward like if you're trying to score at the last second you put it over the line and regardless though if you are tackled you have to release the ball you can put it back and let go and then a thing that happens called a ruck where literally the forwards the big guys collide over top of that ball to Mm -hmm. fight for possession it's like the opposite of a tug of war every single tackle Mm -hmm. the guy goes down sets the ball back you try to clear the defenders off the top of them and send the ball back out down the line so yeah and then I mean I was a I never played rugby through middle school, high school. I always was really, really a fan of the sport, though. My dad played collegiate. Oh, you didn't play until college? No. So I was just a fan. And uh, when I got to college, so I played football and wrestled through high school. Mm -hmm. It was a really good combo when you get to rugby because that's another thing. In tackling in rugby is nothing like tackling in football. I mean, you have no padding. Right. The tackles are a lot more like double leg takedowns, slide single takedowns. Right, right, right. Upper body fighting over unders, trying to get a guy to the ground. Um, And... But what was funny is when I got there, <clears throat> it was baptism by fire because I think by the second year I was there, I was the field captain. And mm-hmm. like we didn't have any coaches. It was a club sport. So oh, shit. I'm a year into it and I'm <laughs> teaching guys, you know, but it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. Yeah. But you learn fast that way. Right. And I think the best way to learn any sport is coaching it because like then you have to analyze it another way as opposed, oh, for to, sure. yeah, yeah. As opposed to like playing it, looking at it from a, a bird's eye view to see the whole game. Yeah, it's 15 on 15 tries a try. So the word touchdown in football mm-hmm. comes from rugby. When you get into the end zone in rugby, you have to touch the ball down. Under yeah, control. Yeah. Don't in you the have end to like you have to dive? No, you don't. Have, you don't have to dive. You can just uh, put it down. As every time as I control. see it in a movie, they, they like to, they they like to celebrate and dive. Of course, yeah. it's, it's the move. I mean, every time I score, I dove. But okay, you're supposed to go and just touch it down. That's a literal touchdown. You get the ball back, and uh, it's a great sport, man. It's a it's also a really, really fun sport on the social side. Mm-hmm. Like, as violent and as physical and as, I mean, fist fights are a common theme. Really? Just like in hockey. I feel like it reflects in rugby, too. I mean, in a really, really good 
80 minute rugby match, there will be like maybe two fist fights. Really? Yeah, even at the international level, it's it's Does, a legit like, thing. Is it like baseball benches clear and everybody? It, yeah, there's a lot of holding by the collar, but there's usually okay. one or two guys that are scrapping like for real, and everybody's oh, okay. just holding was, each other yeah, up. Yeah. You, know, you don't yeah. want to be seen on film later, right? As the guy standing off to the side, you know, you right. want to be involved. So somewhat. <laughs> yeah, right. As much as all that happens during the game, post rugby is awesome because the host team has a social and you invite the opposing team or even a tournament. You, you invite all the teams you played that day back to your house or you go to a bar and mm-hmm. like, a, you know, you might have a team bar like in Macon, the Macon love There's a team in Macon called Macon love. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, pretty sick. Yeah, it's pretty sick. <laughs> and they have a, they have a bar called the hummingbird. It's just like this old school honky tonk in downtown Macon. But when they would host tournaments, it was just an open invite. All these teams that we just spent fighting with all day for eight hours, you invite them back to the bar, have a keg and then do boat races and do all sorts of like the, the other big thing is rugby chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like uh, oftentimes a team will have a social chair that's a part of the club mm-hmm. and they have to be well versed in all these old school like ancient rugby chants. Mm-hmm. But then there's some of that are more new school, but there's really fucking funny ones. Like one of them is like Jesus can't play rugby <laughs> and it's like Jesus can't play rugby because his dad will fix the game. <laughs> Jesus can't play rugby because he won't get off the H post like he's stuck up on the goal post. Oh you know? Jesus! Yeah, or it's like, God damn. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus can't play rugby because his headgear is illegal. Damn, the dude. Do. But yeah, <laughs> but you'll rant at, at a bar with all the social guys that are on, in charge of their clubs. Will get up on a, a stage or on a stool and start chanting, and every rugby player knows these chants top to bottom. That's insane. And they're extremely offensive for the most part. It I, sounds like it. But but it's also just. It's that whole side of rugby you don't see when you watch the sport. It's the camaraderie that comes with it after the game. And that's really what made me fall in love with it, man. I mean, I made some of my best friends at other colleges that I didn't even go to school with just because we knew two times a year we're going to get together, play rugby all day, and then have a really, really good time that night. And right. kind of the onus is on the host team. So, mm-hmm. like, we give them a really good time the first game of the season. Valdosta State comes, visits Milledgeville. We show them an awesome fucking time, take them to all the bars, have a great post-rugby social, all the chants. We know when we go to Valdosta State later that year, they're going to treat us exactly, yeah. treat yeah, us yeah. just like we treated them, and uh, literally lifelong friendships from guys that went to other colleges that you know I didn't see day to day, but the two times, three times I saw them a year, we really, really had a good time. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting, like the compartmentalization it takes with sports, because like in football, like I grew up playing football as well and hockey, and um, when you're running practices, you're playing against each other as if you were playing a different team. And I brought that competitive edge every time. And then once you get off the field, you're friends again. And it, like to a certain extent, I applied that to like other teams and stuff. Like in hockey, there was this little shit kid. I fucking played with him for years. <laughs> fucking hated him. Um, and I would just like, dude, I would just every chance I got, I would check him. I just did not like him. But sure. off the off the off the ice, it was fine. Like I didn't I didn't mind it. But I remember one one time I went especially hard at him every shift every game every time he was on the ice and then afterwards he came and talked to me about it and i was like Man, we're playing though. Play like hockey. i yeah. like i like you oh but absolutely. not when you're on the no love when lost. you're on the ice you're a fucking cunt for sure i hate no you love lost, man that's part of it i mean knock each other out cold and then buy each other a cold beer afterwards yeah. man that's all part of it for sure that's like the essence of sportsmanship oh yeah for sure and it's all a metaphor it's so yeah. that you can get all that bullshit out on the field on the ice mm-hmm. i mean Maybe you do want to hit the guy a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And then yeah, it happens yeah. there. And then when you have a conversation later, that tension or whatever that was before, like my roommate, I used to play rugby with him. We haven't played rugby together in like years. I would love 
to absolutely level this motherfucker outside. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, all that weird tension that builds up between two guys living together, just tackle the guy. Yeah. Tackle yeah, him, absolutely. run him over, and yeah. fight for a ball, and then you do it in that weird space, and then you come back to real life, and all that bullshit tension is alleviated. I mean... It is interesting, like, with with guys, like, as soon... If it gets to the point of fist fighting... As soon as the fight's over, it's typically fine. It's it so is true. it is weird in that way. I have experienced that not even just personally, like in weird little spats like fist fights late night. I mean, like one of my best friends, Bo Dunn, I had an awful late night fist fight with, but yeah. since that night yeah, yeah. we've been so much closer than we ever were prior to that. But it's so weird. Also you see it, like uh, there was two guys that played on my rugby team in college that absolutely hated each other until they finally just had it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden they're inseparable. I don't know, it's it it's it is an odd thing. And uh, another thing we used to do was rookie boxing on the rugby mm. team. So you'd bring all the uh, the whole rookie class would come in. If you wanted to do it, you did. You didn't have to. But we had headgear. We had but it's gloves. like highly encouraged. Oh, it's highly encouraged. <laughs> but oftentimes there's you don't a, have to. But there's a uh, a shimmying for position that takes place politically right. amongst a team, and then you just give a guys a couple of boxing gloves, a couple yeah. of headgear, set about back, and six rounds later everything's cool. Yeah, I mean, you know they yeah. beat the shit out of each other, but there's no afterwards tension. Everybody shakes each other's hand. You're right. It is the essence of sportsmanship. I think, I think it's I, I think it's like almost like a so so you're now you're aware of each other's strength. And there's like I think there's like a mutual respect because you both put on the gloves. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Like it's like well, comics have the same thing. Like there are comedians that I do not like, but I will always have respect for. It's kind of like so I, like even if I don't think a comedian's funny or I don't like them, if they make a crowd laugh, I will yeah, tell that's, people that's like the if there's a booker, I'll be like, yeah, they're funny. Is the crowd laughing? Um, that's I can the, the... I can fucking hate their guts, but <laughs> I respect them as a comedian. And when they bomb. I might be like, hell yeah, I'm like a little nice, but I also, I don't, I think I don't history, hold it against. No, them of course, in history that way. would show that being a good person and a good comic are not mutually exclusive. Mm-mm. I mean, you can be an no, awful, awful piece of shit person. I mean, Cosby, Louis C.K. Like, it's not mutually exclusive, or even just day to day. Guys, you don't really like, they rub you the wrong way, but if they go up and they have a hot 10 minutes and everybody's laughing, like, what are you going to say? Exactly. I mean, they're a fucking comic. You got to respect them. Maybe you don't like them, but you got to respect them, man. Dude, at at the end of this, we should like, we should just rattle off like comedy pet peeves, just like, and then we'll, we'll end it with comedy, like, like good things in comedy. We'll just rattle them off. Yes, absolutely. Because, uh. I got some in the chamber for well, sure. Well, I got some too. That just you bringing that up makes me instantly think of some stuff, man. Now we just got to get to the end. <laughs> I can't wait, dude. This, is, this has been awful. No, dude. I've been like, I've been, I've always been great. fascinated by like the sports that are clearly the influences of American pastimes, like you know, baseball uh, with cricket, football with rugby. Um, I actually went to a couple rugby matches, and it is impressive to watch. Because it's still a collision sport, but it's not collision in the way that football is. And it seems like you guys don't have as uh, big an issue as football with like concussion protocol and stuff. Oh, it's true. And I'm sure people get concussed. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I was concussed like three or four times playing rugby. Yeah, and I never got concussed playing football. But your point, I mean, that's strictly anecdotal for me. But your point is a really well made one. In fact, like there's neurosurgeons out there that suggest. If you want to get rid of concussions in football, get rid of helmets. Get rid of helmets. Because it's, uh, it's a protective thing that, that people feel they can use as a weapon. In rugby, it's well known. If you try to put your head in front of a guy's body and a knee catches it, yeah. it's not going to be good. You don't no. have a helmet. So you're never going to tackle that way. You're not taught to tackle that way. I think, I think it was Pete Carroll from the Seahawks 
Who looks like Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. We found out last night. <laughs> that was so funny, dude. The Belichick one, she looked like Huckabee. Huckabee's yeah, yeah, daughter. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. just won a governorship. A quick, quick aside. Uh, the guitarist from Bad Guru, Joe, he was looking at NFL coaches with um, like women haircuts. And he's like, damn, Pete Carroll really looks like Ellen DeGeneres. And we looked it up and it's like, no, no, no. That's just Ellen that's DeGeneres. That's Ellen's face. That's the joke. <laughs> yeah, no shit. But anyway, Pete, uh, Pete Carroll, yeah, he had a bunch of rugby players come in and teach his team how to tackle strictly because of the concussion. Because it's like, it's if you technique yeah, over if you your, yeah, strength. If you put your head behind the guy when you make the tackle as opposed to, I was always taught, put your head on the ball across the body. That's mm-hmm. concussion central. But if you tackle with your helmet behind the guy, like a rugby tackle, mm-hmm. you're way less likely to catch a knee, catch a shoulder, catch a head to head. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's, it is, it's true. I think that, uh, there are significantly less concussions in rugby than there are in football. But in rugby, you can't go a million miles an hour into contact. Right. It's a controlled Yeah. It's a controlled collision, I guess is the easiest way to say it. When football, when you see guys get hurt, it's an out-of-control collision. They're going yeah. a million miles an hour with their head down. The other guy's trying to get that extra yard, and that's when it happens. It's They can go a million miles an hour because they feel protected, but at the same time, it's what costs them. Mm-hmm. What, do you think, what do you think is like the barrier for like more european uh centric sports like rugby like soccer or football what do you mean proper. You barrier what do you like what do you think keeps something like rugby from being as popular in the u.s as something like football that's a really good question i think it's just like you said you spoke to it earlier like americans are very proud of their identity mm. and when they associate these long- are our sports exactly like, when, and okay. when you associate long term with sports that were essentially, I mean, they started here. Football and baseball started here. It's just like anything else. It's that weird national pride. They kind of think of it as like the, no, 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 these are the updated of those sports. Yeah. This is way more fun and, and better I mean, whatever. As far as strictly entertainment value, I mean, I can't sit through a full soccer game. Mm. Like, I think I could go play soccer and have fun. But oh, like, yeah. sitting there watching a 90-minute soccer game, is for me, is difficult to sit through. I think that's why they have all those crazy chants. And flares and all and the fighting afterwards. Yeah, like what are they gonna do for ninety fucking minutes? Watch these guys kick the ball around. That's the difference between sports where you can actually fight in. Yeah, is like if you can't fight in the sport afterwards, everybody else fights. Yeah, the fans just take it because you didn't you didn't have enough of a cathartic experience. Exactly. (laughs) That's the uh, the soccer hooligans, man. Those people are nut jobs. They're insane. That's pretty crazy to watch. But like I said, I think that part of it is Americans also don't have patience. They want entertainment value. I could see immediate that. Immediate yeah. entertainment sure. value. Sure. That's why people are so worried about baseball dying. Well, that's why they're yeah. trying to change the game because it's too slow. Like, if Americans think football is getting too slow, then they're not going to go watch a soccer game or a rugby game. Okay. You know, but like football to me is like it's it's act it's constant. Action. But it seems like it seems like rugby is very active. It seems like there's always something going on. But to the layman, like if you just were flipping through the channels and you turn it on, yeah. And you don't have a basic understanding of the rules. It's like, what the hell's happening here? Right. You know, like right. it just looks like 15 guys running against 15 guys running all over the goddamn place, kicking the ball. Like, if you don't have a basic understanding, I think it's really hard to grasp. And it's not, people try to say, you know, it's like football and soccer combined, but I don't think it's, it's nothing like football. And rugby, you cannot throw the ball forward. You can only lateral it backwards. Mm-hmm. You can kick it forwards. Um, but when you kick it, you become the line of onside. So you have to chase after your kicks. And it's just, the other, the only real ways you can explain a rugby game to somebody, there's so much to go over, is to watch one. Like if me right. and you were sitting here watching a game, and things happened, I could pause it and say, "This is why that happened." And then over right. the time, you'd start to grasp it. But just like the base level, like soccer is easy. 
Right. They're putting a ball in, in, the, in the goal. Yeah. But like rugby, there's so much in and out, intricate stuff in and out of it that it's difficult to grasp for, I guess to answer your question, it's just that between entertainment value and grasping the rules. I mean, we're raised on football in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even if you're a football fan, you know the basic rules of football. I mean, right. it's a... Uh, and I think even baseball, it's very innate in our subculture. Mm-hmm. Like, you know who's on first, mm-hmm. what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know, like Abbott and Costello, old shit. I mean, it's been a part of our, I don't know, pop culture for so long right? that it's just integrated into us now. We, we understand the sports and I don't know. I mean, personally, I can't watch soccer compared to watching football. So yeah. It's just personal, but yeah. When you're kind of an all-around sports guy for the most for part, sure. you love football, you love uh, love baseball. Mm-hmm. Even you like the fucking uh, the the professional cycling. I love cycling. Yeah, I really do. It and was I, fascinating that first time I stayed here, <laughs> I uh, woke up, and you're like, "Hey, I'm gonna t- turn on this fucking cycling thing." And I was like, I "All right, you're here was, for the Tour de France." I thought I thought it was in Italy. It might have been the G- Giro d'Italia. Maybe the, <laughs> yeah, the Giro, the Tour <laughs> well, of Italy. It was so funny because like we're watching it and you kept saying peloton and in my <laughs> head in my head i thought it was like a like a twitch stream of like uh-huh. you know the 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 brand peloton sure. bikes i thought those were people competing in their homes on peloton but then like yeah the peloton is just a group, you of, group of cyclists yeah. yeah but no that's I, like the the main path lance armstrong is to blame for that i mean like the only reason i like cycling is because i grew up with lance Ar- like watching lance armstrong win all those tour de france's mm-hmm. um and like Probably second through fifth grade, every single time we had to do like a biography project, I just did it on Lance Armstrong. I did the same project like six years straight because he just kept winning and winning and winning. So I would do another bio on him. Did you have to go back to your middle school and put a bunch of asterisks <laughs> next to yeah, what you I, They actually ripped all my posters down. <laughs> Disgraced project presenter. Oh, yeah. I mean, but yeah, that's I grew up on it like... Uh, my dad did a couple Ironman, <clears throat> like when I was still real young. So he was that's, into that's swimming, cycling, running. Yeah. So okay. he was he was really into the triathlon stuff, and uh, so naturally he was a little like followed the Tour de France loosely. And then uh, when a guy like Lance Armstrong showed up, that was an American from Texas, that looked the part, that spoke the part, that won, um, it was really really easy to become a fan. And then even from a very young age, I mean, I think he won his first tour in '99, and I was four years old. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to win six more. So it just kind of, I grew up with him. Every yeah. summer I knew I was going to watch Lance Armstrong in France riding his bike. So there was a long lull where I didn't watch it. But quite frankly, I think they're doping again. It's like, Hell it's yeah, like dude. baseball, dude, like how everybody's like, sports they, so exactly, much better. Exactly. I watch these guys and they are, so like they do the same climbs yeah. as they did in those old tours. You know, there's like monument races that they involve in the Tour de France that they're going to do every single year, like Alpe d'Huez and um Mount Ventoux and like all these climbs that are historic and they are shattering the records up the mountains right now like blowing Lance's times out of the water and obviously like now they have skin tight suits they have way lighter bikes but like but the, the way they're the doing times it they're putting like... it up right now it's like so obvious and the French press are famous for saying c'est pas normal which mm-hmm. means it's not normal they used to say that in every single time lance won a tour they say c'est pas normal it's not normal what he's doing and for the first time in like 20 years this past year a french newspaper said c'est pas normal c'était Tade Pogacar. the guy from slovenia the way he was able to ride the bike was not normal and he was shattering <laughs> records up mountains and they everybody tends to look the other way and i think it's like the baseball thing like, yeah, yeah juice like yeah. the most epic time in baseball ever yeah. that anybody can remember is the home run races and it's yeah. they were all juicing 
and it like brought a new new lifeblood to the sport. Oh yeah, the yeah. sport was dead. Baseball yeah. was dead. It's and like um, the the run, the uh, Sammy Sosa and freaking uh, Mark McGuire. Yeah, Mark McGuire. Yeah. And, and then Barry Bonds came a couple Dude, years you don't later. Know fucking baseball. I know baseball. No, yeah, no, you I'm don't just kidding. Them in. No, no, I just know the juicers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because I'm a big, proves our point. I'm a big fan of steroids. Here's why. <laughs> Dude, steroids fucking rule, dude. Like, uh, name a downside. It's difficult to name a downside, exactly. except for like, I think your heart will eventually explode. Yeah, but what a life to live. But, may- <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think maybe in '98, the steroids they were doing then with no doctor help, like, yeah, your heart's gonna explode. But right. today, like, dude, yeah, yeah, modern Regimented, medicine yeah. and testosterone therapy and like. All these guys do TRT in their fifties. Like you get some of those crazy Russians from like the Icarus thing. Did you dude, watch the, Icarus? I need to, dude. It's I awesome. really and do. Being a cycling fan, obviously. So he just was trying to see how much it actually affects his. Uh, he was a professional cyclist, right? Yeah, and uh, I think he went and did a major race in Europe, and he took like out of two hundred and twenty-six riders, he took like two hundredth, mm-hmm. which is like actually spectacular on the world level to be that good right then he spent an entire year doping and went back and took like 178th damn so it's like that's a big jump it is a big jump <laughs> but when you think about the guys at the top 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 10 yeah like they got the top scientists in the world oh they're yeah, doping yeah. their brains out and they only jump up maybe two spaces but everybody's doing it that's a couple seconds off your time but exactly. those but, seconds but are massive if everybody's doing it you don't really have an option but Icarus is a freaking. It's stupid I, to talk I about need, on a podcast if you've never seen it, but you got it. You, you got I really to want it. to because I like. It's funny because that guy that was like his big his big breakout thing. Oh yeah, and so for a while, like I, I heard about, it, I wanted to watch it, and I just figured he was like a sports guy. But then he made the Dissident, which was about Jamal Khashoggi, and I watched that, and that was fucking fascinating. Remind, that just, That's the Jamal Khashoggi oh, was the Saudi, and, yeah, yes, the okay, Saudi exactly uh, nationalist yep. who was. Um, killed in Istanbul. Was he a, a, an English citizen? He was. A, he was living in the U.S. I don't know if he had citizenship. Right. I thought he was a citizen. A citizen of England, living in the U.S. Maybe he's a U.S. Maybe, maybe he had U.S. But anyways, he wasn't a Saudi. But yeah, that's a, not any. Not anymore. Yeah. No, they, no they, he's they, not. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what he is. Now. Not by not by their standards. He's in pieces, is what he is. Well, he was he was uh, thrown out of out of the country because hmm. he was a journalist and he was like covering. Right. He was covering things he shouldn't have been covering yeah it's interesting how <laughs> like saudi arabia can get away with like they chopped up a journalist everybody yeah. knows it yeah, yeah, yeah like our government knows it and it's like they're our only ally in the Mid- middle east and there's yeah. a lot of oil there yeah, yeah, like, yeah are we really gonna raise our eyebrows about one journalist getting yeah. chopped up in little bits it's like what yeah it's it's dude geopolitics is <laughs> especially today's world i mean geopolitics is a shit show dude i was i was riffing the other night at Stafford, it's like a lot of times I just go up there and I just sure. ask That's for suggestions. Yeah. yeah, and uh, this guy was like, he's like the like the Herschel Walker or something like like uh, elections, and I was like, dude, I don't give a fuck about politics. Like I was like, I feel like this is the perfect like this is one of the perfect political positions in this time is to just be frustrated with the process and check out for well, a while. But then I, I was talking, I went into like I was like, dude, I'm deep diving Tolkien stuff right now. Like I know more about dwarf economics <laughs> than I know about our economics. <laughs> the right racial now. strife between the yeah. elven, the high elves, dude. The I'm much elves more, dwarves, dude. I'm much more interested in Gondor's <laughs> policies on orcs. Of course, after the war, I mean, the they got to watch us, Gilead. That border is right there. It's hot border. It's a hot border. It's a hot border. But uh, dude, no, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like two comics talking. Of course, I have to bring up Carlin at least once. But I saw sure. Carlin's recently doing an old interview. I saw it on, uh, I think it was on Instagram, just an Instagram reel or something, but 
He said that like it finally got to the point where he just took up the position that the problem is not going to be solved. No. Like the political thing. It's he, sad. I know he goes like in my lifetime, in the next lifetime, it's not going to be solved. And he goes, and that was the most freeing thing that happened to me in my writing. <laughs> yeah. Is he goes, yeah. I could just look at it all of a sudden from a bird's eye view and start critiquing the whole of it as yeah. opposed to pointing fingers at one side or pointing fingers at the other side or pointing fingers at the process even. He just kind of backed out and said like, Look at how serious you people are all taking yeah. this thing yeah. that I know isn't going to be fixed. Right. It's just like anything else, man. I, I I don't know. You start talking about politics, it gets pretty depressing pretty quick. Yeah, I was talking about that in terms of like different art you like. Mm. It's so liberating once you stop caring what other people's opinions are. It's true. Because it's like, you know, you're watching a movie and you can't enjoy it because you're like, oh, my friend said he didn't like this movie and I, I don't want him to think I'm stupid or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, once you're just past that and you're like, no, fuck you, I like it. Well, now if you hate things, you're like, you're racist. Like, I didn't like the new Lord of the Rings and it's right. Yeah, and everybody's yeah. like, it's because they made the elf black, isn't it? I'm and like, like, no, maybe, maybe no. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just lean into it. Yeah, right, you yeah. lean into it. You're like, all right. Here's the thing: the yeah. racial politics right. in Lord of the Rings. Exactly. It's like uh, the dwarves you're like, you're aren't going to have beef with some black elf. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like uh, I just don't buy that. I don't see that. And it's, it's just it is. It's funny. Like, uh, and then what was the show? Now we're going to really get like Bridgerton. Have okay. you seen this? Where it's mm, like, have you seen this? You heard about this? <laughs> you, see, you, see, you, see, you seen this? You heard about this? But no, uh, Bridgerton's like a show. It was supposed to be like the monarchs. I, I, I honestly have never watched it, but it's the monarchs in England. It's a lot like the Hamilton play right, where right. there's casted African-Americans or black people as strictly white characters. Right. Which I just, I mean, I, I, I can't say I watched it and didn't like it, but I guess I just struggle to be like, there's amazing stories like from Africa and like amazing yeah, African-American cultural stories that have happened here in the United States like... You don't need to go and dress up as an English yeah. lord. As a matter of fact, the English lords are the ones that had slaves. Yeah. Like, why yeah. are we... They're the well, worst so, people like, on the planet. Why the, is that a higher place to put an individual in our social scale? I forget to the... To me, it's the lowest possible place you could want to dress up as. I forget the empire south of Egypt, but they would consistently wage war against the Egyptians and sit on the Egyptian throne. Right. Um, Kurds? No, it wasn't Kurds. It, mm -hmm. was, it started with a K. But they, they were beasts. Tell that fucking story. Yeah, exactly. Tell exactly the story right. of the the um the Zulu tribe. Oh, it's unbelievable. In, yeah, in Africa, like fighting off the British army for quite some time. Incredible. And Don't, it's like it's it's, like, it's 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 a very strange thing. It's like uh, it's difficult to wrap your head around, actually. Well, Jamie and I were talking about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Django, and he's like, "No, that's the bad guy I want because that's what that it's guy real. would be saying at it's that real. time." Exactly, yeah. and that's. There's all Quentin talks about how difficult it was to get Leo to do that because <laughs> he's just such a genuine seems like such a genuinely good guy and does not yeah. want to say those things. But it's like it's a movie. It's a yeah. portrayal. It's not real. But that's probably about as close as you can get to a, 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 a insanely racist slave owner plantation. The biggest plantation in all of Mississippi was, or whatever. I was listening to Jamie Foxx do an interview about showing up on set the first day uh -huh. and like you know he's acting and quentin's like cut 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 finally quentin takes him into and this is from jamie's perspective quentin takes him into another room and he's like i knew this was gonna be a fucking problem you show up here in your range rover and bubba he's like the, the character he's a fucking slave yeah you're he's not, not a cool, cool guy yeah, yeah he's, he's not like, cool you're cool later he's, <laughs> he's like damn dude yeah <laughs> but it's it's it is interesting the, the portrayal. fucking balls Oh, I love, it. dude! I love Tarantino. I'm I'm completely obsessed. I think he's so. He's funny to watch in interviews because it's like, if cocaine was a person, 
Like, yeah, I don't think yeah. I don't know. Maybe he does coke regularly and writes like his head off, but maybe he's just that way. Maybe he's yeah. just that way. He's so wired and amped, and he sees his stories from so many different perspectives as he does them. I, I mean, Pulp Fiction. When I first saw Pulp Fiction, it completely blew my mind. The way yeah. he did it in like a circular story, and like everything's kind of happening at once over the course of three days. Right. You don't know whether it came before or after, but he did it just well enough so that at the end, you felt like you got the whole story. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any other movies that are done. Like that, yeah. Memento, kind I've of. Never seen Memento. What? What? Who does? Who did Memento? Um, uh, Christopher Nolan. Really? Yeah. Who? Yeah, I'm, he's big into that shit. Oh, Nolan yeah, and uh, you know Nolan's that good. and what was the one he did recently? Tenant. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's didn't like watch the that. The best with time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ending space and time. I'm trying to think of other like, like jumping around. Oh, Citizen Kane. That's but, true. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I feel like there was one recently I saw that kind of jumped around like that. Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any of the Avengers. I haven't seen any of the Jurassic Parks. Yeah. I haven't seen, like, I just don't subscribe to it. It's not that I'm like, fuck it, or oh, Avengers is not real film. I think that's what Scorsese said. But yeah, I just, said, he I said it was like it, a, an yeah. amusement park. Yeah, I genuinely don't find it compelling. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I I think it's our obsession with superheroes from, like, it used to, I feel like when we were kids, kids mm-hmm. were into superheroes. Right. And now all of us kids have grown up. Right. And we're still really fucking into superheroes. We're definitely like one of the most like nostalgic generations in terms of like clinging to what we really like. When I was like eight and my Uncle Patrick was like 42 and obsessed with Spider-Man, I found that very odd. Yeah. But now I'm 27. Right. And there's like my peers are obsessed with the Avengers. Like they can't miss a, like they can't miss a new Hulk movie or they can't miss. Sure. I don't know. Maybe it's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not immature enough or maybe I'm thinking I'm too mature to watch it. Like, oh, I'm better than that. But. I just genuinely do not find it compelling. After the third, I, I liked Iron Man. I mm-hmm. thought Robert Downey Jr. was the fucking man. Yeah. Those first, and then Favreau. I think Favreau did those. The first Iron Man. I think I'm almost yeah, certain John yeah, Favreau did the first uh, Iron Man. But yeah, I felt like those were good movies. And then I don't know. They just get. You didn't double down on the franchise. No, yeah. No, I did not double down on the well, franchise. Well, they were still trying to figure out what all that was sure. in the beginning. They weren't nearly as massive mm-hmm. as they are now. I had my own reason for liking them, which is, I've told it before, but. Um, Sam has a really hard time sitting down and watching movies, uh-huh. but she really liked the Marvel movies. So, sure. and I'm a big film guy. I love yeah. watching movies. So it was cool because I got to like there was almost a connection to that of like I get to sit down with the mm. person I love and actually watch sure. movies. That Absolutely, she enjoys, that's a pretty good so. excuse, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that sounds great, man. I'm a little jealous. Maybe I should start watching Avengers movies. Maybe I'll get some ladies. But, well, uh, that wasn't the order, but yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. I, uh, but I did always, I like the Wolverine series. I have to oh, say, the, X, the X Men stuff, the, but the especially the Wolverine origin story, and then uh, the most recent one that was just called Logan. Logan, yeah, like, that, that was, was a good. Fucking that was good, good movie. movie. Yeah, you know what I mean? That was really like, good. That to me was like a Patrick, film. Patrick Stewart has fucking uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah, that Alzheimer's. So, yeah, that was such a cool concept. It is. It, it, like, the guy with the most powerful mind in the world is. And I, I feel like those Marvel, the the X Men have a certain dark, gothic vibe mm. to it. Very raw. And well, and gritty. they're like they're very the whole like one of the big, uh, um, through lines in that narrative is the discrimination exactly. between yeah, the mutants, mutants and yes, humans. Exactly yeah, right. Yes. There's a whole line there, and it, it delves into you know you it's all orphans. Making, yeah, you start making social commentary through something like that, while Avengers is just like you know superheroes flying around blowing each other up. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as gritty or dark as some of those X Men movies. I did like I liked some of the X Men movies. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, they're pretty good, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. No um, doubt, man. 
Uh, we both are big fans of film. Like, yeah, I feel like we could talk about movies. I love talking about movies. Welcome to the movie TV. podcast. Yeah, right. No shit. <laughs> Best film of all time, Invictus. Uh, what's the discuss. most? What's the, what's the movie you saw most recently that like? Whether it was in theaters or you watched it with your your a significant other, and you were like, "Wow, that was a fucking good good film." Interestingly enough, I just watched Mank, which is a. It's I'm, not, Gary, I'm not familiar it's with it. Gary Oldman, and he plays. Um, I can't remember the guy's first name. Blank Mankovich, and he wrote Citizen Kane. Oh, with Orson Welles, he basically wrote sure. the script. Okay, um, and it's all about his time. He was in an accident, and he was like rehabbing in this place up in the like the fucking desert hills in mm-hmm. California and he was just working on the script with a couple people it's wow. very well done and it kind of does the Citizen Kane thing where it jumps back in time and it shows him as being friends with William sure. Randolph Hearst and like sets up a lot of that it's very well done there's this whole scene where uh it's like a like a very it's like a party atmosphere, but everybody's just sitting down having a discussion yeah. about like modern topics. Uh-huh. Well, there's this piano player just kind of vamping while they all talk about it. It's so well done. I'll um, have to check it out, man. It's I, very I've good. I've never seen it. I, I love that. Uh, I'm a big Orson Welles fan. Yeah. Maybe like three or four. Like I always, you always heard of him. Like you hear the name Orson Welles and Citizen Kane is like, I think across the board, I mean, people say Godfather 1, Godfather 2, but most of those lists, yeah. Citizen Kane will it's be up there. It's top 10 yeah, every exactly, time. Yeah, exactly, every time. Top 5, usually. And I, Orson Welles, I discovered through like his War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Right, yeah. Where, of, uh, written by H.G. Wells. Oh, was that really? Written, yeah, written, weird but, coincidence. But, but Orson, when he uh, read that aloud on the radio, the public actually thought it was, actually yeah. thought it was real. Yeah, if they yeah. were tuning in late before he started the broadcast. Yeah. I think that's so funny, too, like how in touch we are with through social media and yeah. through the news we get instant feedback like to think back then to be a creator yeah like orson yeah and have such a great voice and go on the radio and people actually think it's real but uh thinking of citizen kane and thinking of orson wells is uh did you ever watch any of those drunk histories on comedy Central? yeah yeah dude they have a great one where jack black plays orson wells i'm almost certain it's jack black playing yeah. orson wells oh it's fucking hysterical but uh there's that great story about it's funny that you said Mank, 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 Matt, Mank, M-A-N-K, M-A-N-K, Mank, Matt, uh, Randolph Hearst, right? You said they actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a great story that Jack Black displays, portrays, and that, uh, in which Orson Welles got stuck on an elevator with Randolph Hearst at like mm-hmm. a really nice hotel. After 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 Citizen all Kane. this, yeah, after yeah. the movie came out, it just was by chance they happened to be walking the elevator together and they got stuck for like 18 floors going all the way down to the bottom, <laughs> and it's just utter silence. And they're getting down to the bottom, and Orson looks over at him, and he says, did you see it? Did you see the movie? And Hearst goes, no. And Orson's response was, well, Citizen Kane would have seen it. Kane would have watched the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was great. Like, even my fictional character that I made up of you is better than you, because he would have had the balls to go see it. There's a fucking, there's a commercial out there with Orson Welles. and he's like, they're, they're shooting. What, he starts like freaking out? No, no, no. Oh, I don't okay. think he freaks out. But it's for a champagne. Uh-huh. And he just gets fucking wasted. Oh, and they're yeah, like, yeah, dude, yeah. they're like, this action. And he's just sitting there staring at the camera. Just <laughs> <laughs> pick up the good stuff. And they're like, Orson, action. And he's just so fucking drunk. Dude, yeah, there's there's a great story. Another great story about Orson and drinking. And like, him and Ernest Hemingway were pretty close friends. Okay. And uh, Hemingway... I think it was For Whom the Bell Tolls. Orson Welles did the film For Whom the Bell Tolls. Mm-hmm. with, and um, So they both are in a screening, sitting down. They don't know the other one's in the theater. 
Like there's like just the top execs that are helping work on the movie, and uh, Orson is making remarks and commentary on how the the whatever the, the lines are, which are direct lines from the book that aren't making sense. Right. And he's offending Hemingway in the dark. Right. Yeah, Hemingway yeah. doesn't know it's Orson Welles. Orson Welles doesn't know Hemingway is the one arguing back for every single line. And then uh, it gets all the po- way to the point where they're standing up, literally throwing punches at each other in this dark. And the screen, the, the, the projector of the screen is, uh, you, have, you see Orson Welles and Ernest Hemingway throwing fists over yeah. top of for whom the bell tolls. And they finally <laughs> flick the lights on and Orson realizes it's Ernest and Ernest realizes it's Orson and they just start laughing. Yeah. They became lifelong friends after that. But right. it kind of speaks to what we were talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. earlier. Like Sometimes you just got to have it fucking out. Fucking have it out, man. Even if you don't know it's the guy you're having it out with. That's it is kind of nice being at this age, though, where you can just like sort of verbally get combative with people. Like yeah. You can have it out verbally and not get physical and it achieves a, oh, a similar result. Yes. Um, That's, ideally, yes. Yeah, yeah, you talk yeah. it out. Sometimes. I mean, yeah. Sometimes. You know. <laughs> yeah. But it is that is one of the perks of not drinking anymore. Because anytime sure. you, you hop on World Star, there's those drunk. It's always drunken fights. It's yeah, never. It's, nobody's ever sober. Maybe like a car accident every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. That gets pretty heated. Yeah. But almost almost never are people like at the public library. <laughs> like, no. God. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> old not. man in the sea sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. No shit, man. I. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. That's what. Uh, so, what do you want to say about the Banshees of Isthern? Banshees of Because I know that's what you're. No, the Banshees of Inishirin. I was going to. I was going to think about say it. Say one more time. I just saw that recently. The Banshees of Inishirin. I just saw it on Friday, and I have not stopped thinking about it. It is like an Irish fable that you would read, like in a James Joyce novel, but put on screen and made ultra real. So, like these fantastical things occur that don't make sense in society mm-hmm. because it's you're seeing it on a film based in normal world like if you're reading it in an old irish fable you would believe some of the things that happen it's like oh right, okay yeah. it's just it's a metaphor but to see it on screen in live action it gives it this bizarre turn about halfway through the movie that really really fucking made it for me um that was it's the best movie i've seen in a long time as far as just like when a movie makes you think and it lasts like days and you're still thinking about, oh yeah, there was that scene. What is that? Yeah. What did that even mean? Do you think you could go back and watch it like this Friday again? Yes, I do. But like, it's such a good movie. There was points in it. I wanted to get up and get out of the theater. Really? But it's like, not cause it's bad. It's cause it's so ultra real and like hits mm. you in the gut. Like, okay. so, I don't know. There was points in the movie you laughed. So there was points in the movies you wanted to cry. And there was points in the movies you were so disgusted. Like you wanted to get up and walk out. Damn. It was that, it really was that good. I saw a lot of people, like, critics came out and said they loved the first half and hated the second half because mm. it just didn't make any sense. A lot of critics were saying it didn't even, even in a fable, it defied social logic. But I think that's a very Irish, innate part of Irish storytelling and culture is defying the yeah. societal logic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like... And like, you, fuck, you stand up and you're like, you, f- you don't know shit about fantasy, dude. <laughs> yeah, right. No shit. You don't know shit about Celtic folklore. Oh, of course. But like James Joyce, his, he wrote Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. It's like a smack in the mouth of all societal sense. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like a dream state book. And things happen in it that don't make any sense societally. But he's still making commentary. You know, I, I, I like that sort of shit. I'm trying to think of the Banshees was the the best movie I've seen in a long time where I went and sat in a theater and was like, wow, this was really, really good. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because post pandemic too, it was like, I went and saw Top Gun. That was a great fucking movie, but it wasn't like, (laughs) it wasn't like a film. You know what I mean? The Marvel movie. (laughs) I don't give a Top Gun. He'll shoot fucking Captain America out of the sky any day. (laughs) 
Maverick. And that's that's just Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, but it's Tom Cruise. Right. He does all his own stunts, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually was flying those jets. Yeah. He shot all those MIGs out of the sky. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. He insists his other acting counterparts do their own stunts yeah, too. Yeah, Miles Teller's just passed out in the cockpit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw up all over the windshield. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the the promo for like a recent Tom Cruise thing was him like hanging out of a, a Cessna airplane. Yeah, that and was all, one of the Mission Impossible. Yeah, right? the new yeah. Mission Impossible is coming out. I mean, At he's like the white Jackie Chan. You know, like, he does all his own stunts, but I don't know when you stop. You don't stop. It's Scientology. He's gonna just keep going, baby. He'll be around long after we're gone. Did you, did you ever? Here's another movie I saw recently that is one of the best comedies I've ever seen. It's called the mm-hmm. uh, the Nice Guys. It's Russell Crowe and. Um, uh, f- uh, Ryan Gosling, and oh. they play these like uh. So Russell Crowe's character is kind of like a tough guy, intimidator. Like, sure. I'll go break the guy's legs to get you your money. Ryan Gosling's like a PI drunk, washed out piece of shit, uh-huh. single father. And it is like one of the best fucking comedies I've ever seen. It is. I don't. When did it come can, out? Is it like new? I think it was like 2017, 2019. I've never even heard of it. I'll Dude, check it's it out. It's on man. Netflix. It is so fucking funny. In terms of like, you know, talking about it's not like Irish dry wit, mm-hmm. but in like, t- in terms of like, almost like a dry American sort of slapstick sure. sticky comedy, it's yeah. fucking hilarious. Ryan Gosling out, kills it. <laughs> He's so funny in that movie. That's funny, man. That's good. I mean, I, I, so Gosling's a good actor. Uh, what was it? The the fucking Notebook. That's a that's a classic film. Crack right classic there. film, dude. Classic film. Crack classic film. No doubt. <laughs> who, was the, who was the actress you were saying last night that ruins Amy every Adams movie she's ruins in? every fucking film she's in. <laughs> Amy Adams, that's what, if you was want the podcast the, to get the, going, just get me pissed off. Like, let's talk the, about people that ruin things. Is she, was she the one in um, Amy Adams overacts in every single, I don't know, maybe she was, if she was in Arrival, I didn't see it. <laughs> but no, it ruins like, every movie. I every didn't movie see. she's I gotta in. I got to see it. I got to see a She's the love interest in every shitty movie you'll ever see. Which Which one? Like, like Invincible, she is the love Invincible. interest for Vince Papali. Like still can't picture guy. her. That's so long. She's ago. got the red hair, and then the fighter with Mark Wahlberg. Okay, yeah, all right. She's the yeah. one of the Boston sisters that's like this, but she's way over fucking acting. You know, like there wasn't even any good sex in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> dude. I don't know. She, I don't even know why she, <laughs> yeah, she drives was in me nuts, but she fucking drives me nuts. I'm trying to think of other ones she was in. She was in a, uh, what was that movie with Christian Bale and Jennifer Lawrence and. Uh, Oh, d- oh, fucking American Hustle. Yes, American Hustle. Such great, a good movie. Great movie. Such a good Amy movie. Amy Adams ruins it for me. I cannot take her seriously <laughs> in any film I find her in. I, I don't know. It was a- cool how she was like she was playing the English lady, and that Brad uh, Cooper thought she was English like the whole yeah. time. Yeah, I don't know. I just tuned out because she was on screen. <laughs> I'm gonna look up some movies that she was in because I am genuinely. It seems like I'm just starting to enjoy a movie, and she walks on screen. I'm like, motherfucker. What is she doing here? <laughs> yeah, she was an arrival. Man of Steel. She's Lois Lane, and she like ru- she. That's ruined, right. She That's right. Yeah. Superman movie for me, and I'm a Superman guy. But fuck Marvel. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know the fighter she's in. I liked the fighter. It was good. Uh, the fighters. Uh, Christian fighters Bale movie. plays a really good crackhead. Dude, Little known Bale, fact. Like, what they, is he, he not did, play He wasn't good. actually acting. They just filmed him throughout his day. I would. I would. Buy they just that. gave him crack. I would buy like, that. Yeah. He's very, very uh, method actor. You know, as Batman, he just hung upside down. He slept upside down every single night. Yeah, and yeah. ate bats. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you eat bugs if you're Batman? No, no, you eat bats because <laughs> it conquers your fear of bats. Oh, I see. Here, let's go. Consume we'll go, them. We'll go back, back to back. We'll do like top five. Favorite movies. Sure. Just to 
all time. Oh yeah, kind all of, time across the board. Huh? I'll go. All right, number one for me. No wait, you start. <laughs> all right, what a piece. <laughs> all right, I'll. Uh, wow, now I really want to know what it is. My favorite number one movie of all time, man. Oftentimes I'll break it into like. If we're gonna do top five, like I'll throw a comedy in, I'll throw an action in. I'll yeah, throw absolutely. In. Yeah, yeah. But like, what I oftentimes when people ask me that question is the Big Lebowski. Okay. Like I Good always yeah, go yeah, back yeah. to the Big Lebowski, man. I love it. It's, I think it's like <laughs> we were <laughs> we were talking about Christmas Story the other day, and I, my argument in favor of the Christmas Story was it's just scene after scene after scene or quotable and bangers like. To me, the Big Lebowski, like there's never a cut from one scene to another scene mm. that I don't find iconic, like. Mm-hmm. It just the ball rolls in that movie in every single scene. Like, I don't know. It, I, I, it still makes me laugh out loud, no matter t- how many times I've watched it. I absolutely fucking adore it. And then, uh, so I guess that that would be number one. But then a close second in my comedy tier is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Steve, John Candy. Yes. Yeah, Steve Martin. Steve John Martin. Candy. That movie, I think, is one of the. It's one of the best movies. Not just comedy. It's one of the best holiday films ever and just one of the best buddy films Mm -hmm. ever pretty much every i'm sure that there was i'm sure it was derivative of some sort of buddy film that came first like maybe some old abbott and costello sure sure yeah yeah, but it seems like they started an entire genre that just became part of our pop culture movies where there's two guys a big guy and a skinny guy like uh farley and spade like Mm -hmm. they go on a road trip you know, like it, it, it was literally just two guys stuck on a road trip, but now it like it became common theme. And then Downey Jr. and uh, Zach Galifianakis, like it's just oh, a yeah, Steve yeah, yeah, Martin yeah. character yeah. and the and the other character that uh, was played by John Candy, just with different names over the course of the last forty years. There's been so many planes, trains, and automobile movies. Sure, yeah. But that movie, I absolutely love, man. And then at the very end, like when it comes full circle, and you realize John Candy's characters. Homeless, right? White, yeah, yeah. Without the love of his life anymore, completely yeah. downtrodden, and Adele hits you at once. I mean, that's a heavy fucking hitter. Yeah. I mean, that's that's up there for me too, as far as just like movies I can sit down and totally enjoy from beginning to end. Plain Street Automobiles, Big Lebowski. Those are Hang obviously on. both pretty lighthearted. I'll do. I'll go. I'll go with my one. Sure. Um, mine are going to be out of order because I just can't seem to put yeah, them. In I can't a put them in order. Yeah. No. But um, out of the furnace. That sounds it's, really familiar. It's Christian Bale. And he plays like uh, he plays like a blue collar guy mm-hmm. uh, in this like pencil like uh, like um, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania town like mm-hmm. Rust Belt kind of thing or I guess Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, sure, sure, I got you. Um, no, it's Eastern because they go to West Virginia at one point. Anyway, um, so it's like uh, he ends up like getting in a drunken automobile accident. He goes to to prison for a while. His brother is played by Casey Affleck, who is like. Uh, He's a returned vet of Iraq or Afghanistan or something. Mm-hmm. He's he's basically involved in underground boxing. Willem Dafoe is his his promoter, his booker, and really? Woody Harrelson's in it. He plays oh, wow. he plays one of these like New Jersey out, Appalachian fucking like meth dealer. Uh-huh. It's weird and it like kind of ends on like an open ended thing like what happened, what didn't happen, mm-hmm. which I really like. It's just like I'm really into like fucking just kind of weird tension movies oh yeah because it's not like it doesn't sum up very well and it ends in this kind of weird well manner, you would like the banshees like, of Sharon. the yeah, way that you're describing yeah. it right now is that you just did a really good job of describing the movie without ever seeing it where there's yeah. this underlying tension that is stretched and stretched and stretched like a yeah. rubber band yeah and then eventually that like 
you're like, when is he going? To, when is the guy that wrote this movie or made this movie going to pop this fucking rubber band and the tension right. breaks? But you still leave not feeling fulfilled. Like yeah, you didn't get absolutely. the answers that's, you wanted. Yeah, that's it makes you think furnace. for three days. Yeah. Like you're like, what the hell was that about? What was that scene supposed to mean? Yeah, and I love that sort of shit, man. Then, then Dude, I'll give you, like I'll, a, give you, I'll give you the opening scene of Out of the Furnace. So it's at a drive-in movie theater. It's Woody Harrelson. Like I said, he's like this backwoods Appalachian mm-hmm. meth dealer, and he's on a date with this girl, and they're watching a movie. And she pisses him off by saying something little. And he, like, makes her, like, deep throat a hot dog. And then he slams her fucking head off the dashboard. So she swallows the thing whole. My God. A guy from a car next to him gets out big guy. And he's like, he's like, is there a problem here? And fucking Woody Harrelson's like, get out of here, motherfucker. And the guy's like, that's Mr. Motherfucker to you. And so, like, he's like, he's like, get out of your fucking car. So Woody Harrelson comes over, and he's, like, got his hands up, and he's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. And then he just, like, three combos. This guy knocks the fuck out of him, <laughs> gets back in his car, kicks the girl out, and just drives off. <laughs> That's the opening scene, dude. It's, oh, yeah. There's, there's something to be said for really good opening scenes. Dude, it's, oh. Like, uh, it, it hooks you. It, it hooks does. You're it like, does. I got to see where the fuck this goes. Like, what comes to mind, I mean, we can just keep listing off movies. And honestly, for me to think of five, like, when you say get five, I get just flooded. And there's because then the 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 bottom end possibilities open up. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, you can give cheap answers. Like I absolutely love Godfather one and two. Like yeah, like we said, they're always on the top three lists of the Citizen Kane's. They're gonna always be up there. And I do truly, truly love those goddamn movies. And then, uh, but what you just said, and I think we already talked about Django in this podcast as well, or maybe that was just earlier today. But the opening scene. In Django, obviously oh, there's yeah, the opening yeah, yeah. credits, but then when Doctor Schultz rolls yeah. up on his Dude, wagon, so much tension, and like everybody's hanging out, and he's like, "What the <laughs> like for to be two slave tradesmen?" He's got a through, big old fucking through tooth Texas, on and a dentist this. stumbles upon you in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night. Yeah, and then he tries to barter with him, and just instantly pulls out sawed-off shotgun. Ba boom, ba boom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's how it opens, and you're yeah. like, "What the hell is this?" And you get sucked right in, and then they go to that town. Mm-hmm. And instead of like talking to the sheriff or anything, he just pulls <laughs> out the so derringer good. and blows his like just puts a bullet in his head right there in the street. I don't know, like opening scenes like that. I absolutely love shit like that. Like what you just described with Into the Furnace, where it hooks you out of the furnace, out of the furnace. Excuse me, <laughs> Into the Furnace is the sequel. That's right. Yeah, back 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 to the furnace. Yeah, back to the furnace. Things are heating up. So uh, I'm trying to think of other really good movies that are like. There's like I said, there's classics that you're always going to hear in conversation, but there's also like slept on films that aren't talked about that much. But like, I'm trying to think of a really, really good one. Hmm. There's a, there's a, there's also like interesting films where it's like for the genre, like it shouldn't be good and it shouldn't mm. be as like it's sh- like all the components shouldn't be as good as it is. But it's so good. So like, comes the, I think the top golf movie of all time is the greatest game ever played with Shia LaBeouf. And it's like all the components of it shouldn't make it as good as it is. Yeah. But it's like the best golf movie of all time. I know what you're talking about. Now that it's, you say that, yeah. I did watch that. That's a damn good movie. It's so good. There's a lot of golf. It's so weird that that's a whole genre as yeah. golf movies. Oh, yeah. Like Legend of Bagger Vance. Hate that movie. That's <laughs> an awful movie. <laughs> fucking hate. Dude, ro- that's I was saying this movie. the other day. All right, now I'm I, pissed. I have so much now more fun. I'm fucking Let's pissed. start bashing things. Dude. Why are we talking about things we like? Yeah, let's, let's talk, talk about, about things shit we, I don't like. Here's what I fucking hate. All right, Robert Redford directed films. They are dog shit. They're not good. There's no conflict. They're fucking horrible. It's like it's always this like ethereal concept that's like this is what's plaguing this man, dude. Legend of Bagger Vance fucking sucks. Uh, River I didn't runs even know that was it. a Redford. That's dude, hysterical. Uh, River runs through it. 
Yeah. All components I should love. I love fly fishing. I love uh-huh. Missoula, Montana. I used to live there. <laughs> Movie fucking sucks, dude. It's so bad. Robert Redford, I love him as an actor. I really do. Oh, I, yeah. I, that's another movie I saw recently, Three Days in the Condor. You ever seen that? Oh, uh, no, no. So it's like, I love these, the, so like, I love movies. I love movies across the board, but my favorite period of movies is like that mid-70s, 72, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, like, that's when Godfather 2 came out. Mm-hmm. That's when Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman came out. Mm-hmm. That's when Three Days in the Condor came out. Is that the one about the American spy in Russia? He's, 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 not, in, he's not in, I think he's in France, actually. Okay, but, but at the same time, it's like the French Connection with okay. Jim Hackman. It's like all these film noirs of like Cold War era, yeah, underground, gritty yeah. American spies trying to make it, and it's all I don't know. I, I love all that Marathon Man. Have you ever seen Marathon Man? I have it doesn't not, often. No, no. That's a great fucking movie. So it's like the basic way I can lay it out to you is: there's a guy that's a student at Harvard who runs marathons he's like just Mm -hmm. he loves running he's a cross-country guy kind of a nerdy guy feeble it's dustin hoffman and then (laughs) bitch yeah his older brother is the guy from jaws i can't think of his name for the life of me right now but he's a legendary great actor not that weird two men go into the water not that guy the the sheriff the sheriff Um, the guy with the glasses the guy that shot him i can't believe i can't think of his name right now but he's the older brother you know hard ass like cool guy and he's a cia operative and his department deals with current nazis mm-hmm. that we still know are alive still have connections and it just so happens that marathon man the cia has a direct line to the diamond market through the nazis that are still alive in south america mm-hmm. and one of the nazis is trying to get to the states safely and get a new identity and he's doing it all through the cia and uh something goes sideways the older brother gets killed by the nazi mm-hmm. and they think they all assume all the bad guys, quote unquote bad guys in the movie, the Nazis and the other CIA guys that are like turned and eat like bad dudes. They're helping Nazis all think that Dustin Hoffman's character must be a deep cover guy mm. as well. Mm. And maybe his brother was giving him feeding him information and they're all working in cahoots. And right. So little do they know it's just he's a nerdy kid that goes to Harvard and loves running marathons. But yeah. he gets captured and they torture him. But he gets away and he takes off running, dude. And once he starts running, you ain't catching this motherfucker. <laughs> but it's a great, great, it's great movie, asset. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's his one superpower. And he takes off running. And they wouldn't. They did not catch this motherfucker. But that's a great goddamn dark, gritty film. A lot like uh, what's the other one that I love is a uh, Death Wish. You ever seen Death Wish? The original. Yeah. With um, uh, fuck. He's like in everything back. Yes. Then. Yeah. Uh, Manly's man. Can't believe I just. I don't know. You just threw me off too. Sorry, but no, no. I uh, don't be sorry. I couldn't think of it. Um, he's like in. He's in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yes, this is the Man in White. He's like the baddest. Mother. He's in Dirty Dozen too. Dirty um, Dozen was great. Oh yeah, it's a classic. Um, I'll have it here in just one. Hard second. Times. Yep. Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson, man. I just needed to he's say a hard, hard ass. Times. Yeah, he's a hard ass. He was like ultimate tough guy back then. But yeah, Death Wish is. Death Wish has one of the most brutal rape scenes. Yeah. Of all time, but do you yeah. know who it is? Who's the rapist? Yes. No. Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. No shit? Th- yes. Dude, I gotta go back I and watch that. I was raping the girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's him, dude. But yes, in that film, I'm I'm 99% cer- certain it was him who did the raping. Unless, he may have been the rapist in Fugitive, the one-armed man that rapes Harrison Ford's wife. I might be confusing the two. Dude, I cannot remember for the life of me who it was. But anyways, Goldblum, he, he's, he's a rapist in one the, of those I watched films. The Fugitive recently, and I 
that didn't stand out yeah, to me, I so know. I don't think it was okay. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That it, regardless, it doesn't look like Jeff, but it's funny to know that like one of his first ever acting credits was like the rapist, rapist number one. Yeah, <laughs> rapist number one in Death Wish. <laughs> Such a brutal rape. Their numer. Their yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> they have the numerals after rape them. in film. Yeah, no. Yeah, and then uh, I did watch the Kevin Bacon remake. Not as good. No, I never but, saw uh, it. It had John Goodman in it. So really, I love John. I fucking He's love John. He's got a small part. Like so I said, it's not as Lebowski. Great. Yeah, he has. A, he has a lot of really. You're good. out of your element, Donnie. Yeah, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Donnie. There's a lot of good little roles that he plays. Like, did you ever see that Denzel Washington movie when he's the pilot? Flight, dude. Flight. The co- dude, the and cocaine he's the, dealer. And he's the drug dealer. Yeah, he Maze, shows up dude, and he has so, but it, Right, dude. Talking he, about things we love, Flight, dude. Yeah, oh, that's a great movie. Dude, I, I, I used to listen to Feeling All Right, Joe Cocker version uh-huh. when I would do cocaine. <laughs> it's the best movie of all time. Oh, that's a great, that's, great, great movie. But that's another little tidbit where he shows up and it's like he just steals dude, the movie. He fucking, you know? He's like walking in the room, like in the hotel, and he's like, "Name a maze. I believe I'm expected." And like, just like <laughs> yeah. such a he like, he's like, "You get a glass of water. You get me a, a mirror or whatever." You know, he instantly gets. You go ahead and make a cocoa puff. Yeah, it's a cocoa puff. Fucking yeah, exactly. dealing with damages. Yeah. <laughs> what? And he did the same thing in the. I think it was the Hangover. What doesn't he show up like in the the most recent Hangover as like the main bad guy? Maybe I'm totally fucking. That I up. haven't seen the most. I saw one and two. Yeah, I think in three he does another cameo where all yeah. of a sudden it's him and he's like the most yeah. cool badass character in the movie. And somebody says something to him, he just pulls out a gun and fucking blows him away. You know, I don't know. I I love. It's, there's guys like that throughout Hollywood that show up in every goddamn movie, but yeah. they're never the main character, you know. But, but they're they always there, they're, and they yeah. come and they steal the movie. He's definitely one of those guys that steals films when he shows up. Have you uh, have you seen Seven Psychopaths? No, but my my dad Dude, saw it and said it's, it's really really so good. good. Colin Farrell, yes, I'm uh, a big Colin Sam Farrell. Rockwell, yep, absolutely. Uh, Woody Harrelson again, mm-hmm. and isn't uh not Defoe, but um oh yeah um. Uh, Chris uh, Walken, Chris Christopher Walken's yeah. in it as well. Yes, yeah. I need to see that, dude. Dude, it's so good. I've heard it was good. I'm, Christopher Walken's the fucking man too. You ever seen Deer Hunter? Yes. Now yeah. you want to talk about a gritty '70s dark? I didn't like. I didn't. I didn't think it was that that good. I think it's pretty goddamn good. I, it was all right. I don't know. I, it's what's funny is when he's in the he's deer hunting in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and it's like so clearly the Alps. Like yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. no mountains look like that. The, fa- the, the, like, the deer that yeah, he's like, like looking at, it's like massive for sure a stag, yeah, like a yeah. European stag. Uh-huh. Little things like that in seventies films that are like okay, this is not Pennsylvania I, mountains. I watched um, uh, Cam Haynes. I think it was Cam Haynes. I'm familiar. He's yeah, like a, the, a yeah, hunter. The bow hunter guy. Yeah, he. Uh, it might not have been Cam Haynes, but he was doing a one of those GQ breakdowns and the deer hunter scene. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was a bunch of like scenes. Um, Last of the Mohicans, the hunting sure. scene. He's like, I don't understand why directors and producers always have to use animals that aren't from the country that they're currently in. He's like, we have beautiful animals in it's America. True. He's like, we have elk, we have white-tailed deer, we have muley deer. He's like, we have beautiful, we have moose, we have beautiful. Yeah game in this country and they always have to show fucking like an english stag or something yeah i don't know it's an odd thing i don't know what the hell that's about i wonder if it's just a strictly finances thing maybe it's easier to get your hands on a stag for a film maybe they're protected by you know shit here in the country and talk about talk about a great opening scene the revenant the moose hunt and the the i mean the rest of the movie was it's a good movie but it's like yeah you're not i mean you're not in a hurry to get through uh, you know what i mean like it's a very very slow methodical Movie, but, but scenes in it are oh yeah absolutely great. the cinematography is incredible oh, okay. i mean with the shot of leo with the the avalanche happening behind him 
I, I don't know if you know the scene I'm talking about, yeah, but yeah. like there's scene after scene of that that just the the cinematography I can totally grasp and understand. That's like that movie, uh, I think it was 1917, where Dude, there was great. no dialogue. Yeah. yeah. See, but that to me like. Well, there's dialogue in 1917. Well, th- what's the was there one recently where there's like, it's like one camera shot. Is that 1917? Okay, yeah. And it's like one camera shot. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. To me, like. I didn't think that movie was that great, but the cinematography made it for yeah. me. Like, much yeah. like The Revenant, where it's like, I don't know. But the coolest thing about The Revenant is Hugh Glass was a real guy. Yeah. Like, that whole story. The, the, sto- the story, the story the is actual- completely different. Though. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like It, wasn't it ends, his, in, it ends wasn't in forgiveness, not retribution. Yeah, yeah. He, he finds the one guy, and he's already dead, and then he finds the other guy on a military base, and they like he They make him. up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, I don't know. And it wasn't like they killed his son or anything. They just left him to die. Right. But... The dude crawled like 250 yeah. miles, yeah. which is just difficult to grasp. Those hard asses back in the day, like dude, the 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 fucking mountain men and the guys, like when we were fighting the Indians, and it was like, okay, we have like 300 cavalry men, but then you'd have two guys, the scouts, yeah, and they just would like ride 500 miles ahead yeah. and come back, and they yeah. got back in two days while you've covered like 100 yards, yeah, and they can tell you everything that happened in between. Like those dudes are cut from a different fucking cloth. Can you imagine? All right, you go back in time. And you're talking to, like, just one of those really rugged, hard, pioneering kind sure. of guys. And you try to explain, like, the coffee shop bullshit <laughs> now. You might as well be speaking French to the guy. Yeah. Yeah, if he's not a French fur trapper. Yeah. But, but no, which he probably six, is. Which he probably but. knows French. But, yeah. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a totally different language. They would not... They don't have... He's so, like, do you, do you realize, like, I fucking pulled my own goddamn tooth yes. out of my skull right. because it had gone dead. It was infected and yeah. it had to come out of my head. But there's I had nothing but my <laughs> hands. Yeah, I had some moonshine. You know maybe. what I took I took the butt of my rifle and struck myself yeah. in the face until it fell so out. So this is that's something if you want to do some social commentary here on your podcast, of course. Like uh, that's what this podcast <laughs> is all about. Clearly we've just been <laughs> rambling, but let's let's get serious right now. Okay. Okay, uh so no in Pennsylvania, like my family has properties, <clears throat> and recently we built a pole barn there. It's really common up there. There's no Mexicans up there, but there's Amish. There's Amish. They do all that stuff. And the guy that built our pole barn, we've actually gotten really close with. His name's Menno, which mm-hmm. oddly enough is a like a racist term for Mennonite, but his name is literally Menno. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. like it's funny that when we when he first introduced himself as Menno, we kind of laughed. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm really Menno. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm Keith Jr. He's like, oh, I have a Menno Jr. So like right away he liked us, <laughs> you know. And they're such simple people, and we didn't ask any weird questions at first. But after we've met the guy three or four times, walked our property with the guy, spent like hours with this guy, my dad just started asking like basic level questions, like, what do you guys run on? Like, how do you do this? What what's your day to day process? And he was so happy to share it with us. Yeah. But it's that aspect of, like, when I wake up in the morning to, like, make a coffee, I plug a thing in. Yeah. For him, he has to get a wood-burning stove. He has to go get the wood. Yep. Get the wood-burning stove running again. Yep. Get it up to the heat temperature. Then, like, you know, literally grind the grinds. Do, like, do the whole Boil thing. Boil water. Boil yeah. water on the top of the wood-burning stove. Go around and turn on all the kerosene oil lamps just so he can see what he's doing. And this is all before anybody... This is like four o'clock Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like just to have a cup of coffee. you yeah. got to get up like three hours prior. Yeah. But after having the conversation with the guy... And the other thing is, you look him in the eyes, like there's something magical there. Like yeah. that something that is untouched yeah. by a modern society, a modern culture. And the other thing that's interesting is they don't not believe in electricity. Like they know it exists. 
They yeah. just want nothing to do with us. Right. It's like the Orthodox Jews. I think you yeah, have absolutely. a great old joke about how yeah. they're the opposite <laughs> yeah. of Christians where they're like, leave us the fuck alone. Yeah. It's the same thing with them where it's, yeah. they're like, yeah, we know electricity exists. Yeah. We just don't want anything to do with what you guys got going on. Like, right. I don't want to use your power grid. I don't know who did that. Yeah. I don't want to eat your food. I don't know who got that. Right. I don't know who bagged that shit. Like, that's how yeah. they see it. It's not like this weird mental block. It's they just like, I see it. I know it. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. But there's something to be said for, you said something earlier that made me, th- yeah, the, the mountain man, mm-hmm. like the time spent just to get one accomplished thing done versus the coffee shop conversations that happen. Well, Dude. today there are no, just to have a cup of coffee, Menno, my Amish buddy has to take about 60 steps. Those 60 steps are, he's busy with his hands. He's thinking, he's using all that time that the Amish still use to like do things so that they can enjoy themselves. We've washed away by making life so simple. And that's when anxiety creeps in, depression creeps in. Yeah, All these times yeah, that you're yeah. not busy with your hands, like the oldest saying in the world is like the idle hands of the devil's playground. Yeah, It's more like you're going to get depressed if you can just flip a light and your light comes on. Because sure. you didn't put any effort into that light right. turning on. And there was so much time that we've... Take, like Time throughout all of human history was filled with tasks. Yeah. As we've made life easier, we've eliminated task after task after task to where sure. now we just have time yeah. to look at our phones, to time to do nothing. Like, And all that happens is anxiety creeps in, depression creeps in, that sort of thing. That's And the coffee conversations where you're just ranting about angry about the way the world works where it's like Menno's ass doesn't have time to think about yeah. that. He's getting the fire going. Right. So his wife can have coffee. And then, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just a different world that they live in and they're living in it today. Right. In 2022. Yeah. Some of it is enviable after you get done talking to the guy. It's mm-hmm. like, I well, mean, TV's I, nice, but Jesus, it's, I do it's, agree with you. Podcasts are fucking stupid. And I can't <laughs> wait to stop doing this one. No, but like, I think, I think a big key is like, cause I do think it, it is enviable and it is romanticized in a way. But there is a there is a middle ground, mm-hmm. and I think the thing that really separates your mental state from getting depressed and anxious and things like that is being appreciative of how easy your life is. Because sure. I've spent uh, weeks on end in the woods without electricity and stuff like Absolutely. that, and you come back very grateful, like mm-hmm. indoor plumbing, like in basic. Oh stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just having a fork. Is kind of nice. For, like, yes. Oh, I don't totally have to, agree with I don't you. have to eat out of this mug with my hands. Totally. Uh, or a stick, or a hot shower. Hot shower, oh, dude. Like, I went. Dude, I went like fourteen. Hot... I went fourteen days, uh, on in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Rained the entire time. Yeah, that first hot shower was like feeling God's grace it's upon incredible. Me, upon but the yeah, earth. It's, you need those resets in yeah. your life because Absolutely. otherwise it becomes so mundane. You don't know how fucking good you got it. Like, I woke up, took a hot shower this morning, no problem. Yeah, but like. You, it's it's important to remind yourself of that time. Absolutely, you sat in a stand in the middle of winter for like six hours, and then you were freezing your ass off. You didn't even think you were gonna make it out of the woods. Maybe you got lost. Yeah, and you're wandering around. You're like, shit, yeah. am I ever gonna make it back? And then you do, and then you get that fucking hot shower, man. It's like something that you deal with every single day that you just take for granted. Well, just the value, the inherent value that comes with it that we diminish because yeah. it's we get it every day. Well, and I think I think another big part of it is like I understand that there's a big emphasis on mental health awareness and stuff sure. now and I think that's very important. I was talking to a counselor one time and like I was kind of telling him like here's here's my routine so I try to eat well, I try to sleep well, I work out a lot. I you know, sure. go for walks. I, have I do to. I do I mean, yeah. yeah, I do all these yeah. things and 
and he was like, see, those are all the things you absolutely have to do. And he was like, what happens is a lot of people just come into my office not wanting to do those things and just wanting a drug that will fix right. it. The problem is, is if you do all those things and you're still having an issue, that is brain chemical imbalance. Right. Then you can use a pill. If you're doing all those other steps. That and he was like, you would be, you would, you would be, uh, astounded at the amount of people who come in and refuse to do those things and it's like or can't get out of like, bed it's like let alone like about. work out yeah minnow has to do his his workout is constant mental task oh, yeah. yes. and physical there's no option. labor there's, there's no option so but if you do have time on your hands you have to make your own hardship for sure so then you are appreciative of like totally. oh thanks i can i can finally stop doing squats now oh yeah thank god <laughs> yeah but no you're exactly i totally totally echo everything you just say i totally agree i think that that's why I work out is like, number one, I'm vain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but number yeah. two, like... You're just down here if, like Christian Bale yeah, yeah, fucking right. an if, American if, psycho. If, yeah, right, exactly. But if I don't work out, like, I will spend six hours anxious throughout the day and be like, yeah. man, why was today such a weird day? Yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't even fucking punish myself in, I'll, a, in a basement I'll for, go squirrely. for an hour and yeah. a half. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, I have to get that hit just so that the rest of the world doesn't seem like so bizarre. You well, have to exhaust how, yourself. How awesome was that workout getting to listen to Philly fans call in <laughs> and just bitch about the loss There's last nothing night. more fun, dude, than Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio. Like, <laughs> I am a Philly sports fan, <laughs> but like, and I think I look at it like a religion, but then these people call and it is their life. And not only is it their life, they're knowledgeable. Yeah. Like, knowledgeable as fuck. Like, they'll yeah. be like, we converted 38% on third fucking downs. What yeah, the fuck's yeah, up with yeah. that? Like, they know the percentages. They know... How, what percentage of plays Brandon Graham? Like Brandon Graham only played thirty six percent of plays last night on defense. How does that happen? It's like, yeah. how do they know? How do they even fucking you, know that? Do you know it'd be awesome if they spent half that energy into something that makes them happy? Oh yeah, right. No doubt. Oh yeah, but <laughs> some some surefire thing. But I got to tell you, like in Philadelphia, if they win the game on Sunday, that Monday people are floating around like yeah. ugh, cloud nine, just as angry as they get when they lose. The, yeah. the, they yeah, get yeah, yeah. that happy. I mean, well, it's, that, it's, it changes the energy of the entire yeah. city. That's the importance of tribalism to a certain extent. Yeah, that's true. Um, because it's like, oh, have you ever, dude, I watched this fascinating little short documentary on the people of Easter Island. And they were tribal. They had tribes. But the the way they kept from, like, the entire island breaking out in tribal warfare is every year they would send their, like, best warrior down this fucking cliff face into the ocean they would swim to a little island at right off the coast like yeah you know, it was like maybe quarter of a mile half a mile thing they go and they collect an egg from a migratory bird swim back and whoever brings back the first egg that tribe is like the king tribe but every year it resets and that's oh. how they were able to I guess mitigate a lot of tribal warfare. Sure, we need sports shit like that. Yeah, that's we what need, we're, we've been talking about the whole time is the metaphor that I've takes been, place in the field. I've been pushing for this for a while, and it's disguised as a stand-up bit, but I really do think this: we should have like county warfare, like medieval Italy. Like <laughs> Chatham County goes to war with fucking Bibb County for like. Oh yeah, man. I, I do have a bit where it's like the the fucking the negotiations after, and it's like we get access to the to the um the hardies off route nine provided <laughs> and we'll give up the dollar general <laughs> no on doubt. essex street but what's funny about tribalism is like as you zoom out like the like so i grew up in, a, in effingham county i went to south effingham high school mm -hmm. there's an effingham high school that was the original high school it's not north effingham it's just effingham so, yeah and then there's south effingham yeah people from effingham hate people from south effingham people from yeah. south effingham 
hate people from Effingham. Break off. But then if you, New County. But then if you back out and it's Effingham County and Chatham County. Oh yeah. Fuck Chatham County. That's, across dude, the board. That's what I've been saying. All of South Effingham that's and all I've of Effingham saying. will say fuck Chatham. Like we don't like each other, but fuck Chatham County. Fuck dude. BC. You know, like it's funny how if you, and then you zoom out further, the southeast, like Georgia. Yeah. Like yeah, the yeah, southeast, yeah. all the people from Effingham and all the people from Chatham are all from Georgia. Yeah. And they'll say fuck Mississippi. You yeah. Know, it's absolutely. weird how absolutely. you zoom out and then even all the way to the country level. Yeah. So that's like, you know, those guys that go to the moon and they see the earth, they actually physically see the tribe. Yeah. Like that is the tribe. Right. We're all one. You know, you want to get all hippy dippy, but we are all one. There's no race. We're all fucking humans. Yeah. It's easy to lose grasp of that when you're arguing with the people from North Effingham. You know what it's, I mean? It, it does boil down to like, I don't like your level of sun exposure. <laughs> yeah, no shit. It <laughs> it's horseshit. It's, it's so true, man. It's hysterical to me. Or I, I don't. Yeah, I don't like how you pronounce your R's. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking just, Brits. And even, but it's even uh, in the U.S. the accents, the South versus the Northeast, like all that shit is bizarre, man. It's it's weird how. Dude, go birds. People, people, go birds. People are so tribal, and then you zoom out, and they're, they're tribal at the bigger level, too. Yeah. I, how the fuck? I, it's, I guess it's just so innately in our DNA. Absolutely. That that's how we are able to Absolutely. find our own individual identity is by basing it off the people around us. Like, we can only see us if we see our reflection in other people, perhaps. I, th- I think what it, what it comes down to, like, the way that that level is so scalable is because... Like, it's in our DNA. For a long time, we were facing huge threats. Sure. Like, big cats. Oh, yeah. Snakes, fucking all that shit. So, oh, yeah. we were collective in fighting the biggest threats around us. Oh, we yeah. developed tools. Flying. All of a sudden, we are the best. Yes. We're the biggest threat. So, we're now the biggest threat to each other. And that's why I can go oh, yeah. from the individual level all the way up to the to a global level. For sure. If need be. But to your, the flying dragon motif is not an accident. That's you like, don't think so? No, the big birds of prey when we oh, were yeah, still yeah. chimps and the yeah. snakes. Yeah. Like, they... And the they, boats. They, yeah, and they ravaged our fucking ancestors, whatever the hell they were. Like, that dragon motif of the snake. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. like you described those uh, the tribes in Easter Island having to go down, swim, and go to a, a challenge and come back. And that's how you earn their respect. Like, like that's a metaphor. That, that story is the knight going into the cave, slaying the dragon, yeah. coming out. Yeah. Like that's some that's some metaphorical, innate human meta stories that I think that that shit delves or derives directly from just literal biology. Like and, snakes wreaking yeah. havoc on us for so long. Yeah. Like you can show an image of a viper to like a baby and the baby will start crying. Yeah. Because it's like so innately, those things just wreaked havoc on us for so goddamn long that, I mean, and then Satan. Satan is literally a snake. That's how he's yeah. di- direct. Like you know, I think that a lot of that shit derives from literal biological interaction with the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what's going to fix it all? Podcasting. That's right. <laughs> let's just keep talking, dude. Let's, let's light up a blunt, man. We're getting going now, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> let's fucking pull it up. No, I'm out of weed. <laughs> you're not a weed. I, I'm out of weed. Oh, you're out of weed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, not a weed. I was like, you're not a weed guy. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm a weed guy. I'm a weed guy. I've, I've definitely been cutting back though. Like, in all seriousness, it's been cut way back. I love it, like, but you have to earn it. Just like we were saying about everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's so easy to get sucked into it and be like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to get high and just be chill. But it's the same thing where it's not nearly as fun unless you earn it. Like, yeah. Like, at the end of the day, maybe I'll allow myself to smoke a little bit. You know? Sure. I love that sort of shit, man. Yeah. And really good music. It helps. It helps. It's an, it's an enhancer at times, like with music and film. Yeah. Like it's hard to watch The Big Lebowski and be like, damn, I kind of want to smoke a joint with the yeah, dude yeah. right now. You right. know, like yeah. it's kind of innately in there. I know you're not a drinker. Do you ever smoke? No. No, I didn't I've think been, so. Uh, yeah, I've been 
sober for like five years now. Which is outstanding. Yeah. The surprisingly enough, hardest thing to quit cigarettes by a wide margin. See, I, I, I also never people like, say that though. They say it's the most addictive goddamn thing on the it's, planet. It's is like nicotine. the accessibility and yeah. it's like oh I listened to Rob Eiler who was who was AJ on the oh, Sopranos. I, totally absolutely he was he yes. was talking He's about He's been on the church with yeah, Joey Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah multiple he's like a multiple time guy. He was talking about how his doctor described the addictive nature of cigarettes and he's like you're not just quitting nicotine you're quitting like five things at once there's like oh, yeah. there's the nicotine there's the whole like you're going to go outside uh there's like there's Driving, a social aspect before there's, meal after meal there's, coffee there's like you're it's essentially a meditative process you're totally. going you're doing this breathing thing you feel relaxed like there's all these different you to things take deep breaths and slow down and yeah. meditate yeah. almost and it's yeah. also the oral fixation like absolutely like dipping like guys yeah. will still chew lifesavers even once they quit dip because right just as much as the nicotine is an addiction it's having something to do with your mouth right or having something to do with your hands like yeah absolutely a social lubricant like no other is a drink in your hand or a cigarette like because yeah. you know the fucking talladega nights i don't know what to do with my hands right like, exactly so much yeah. of that is a cigarette is that's another thing that's just ingrained into our fucking culture mm -hmm. is the cigarette like watch any black and white movie and the main character is like very coolly smoking a cigarette. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. so like whether or not it's real or not, innately we associate like being relaxed in a social situation with having a cigarette in your hand. You know, like it was an entire identity yeah. for people. Um, you know, I heard if you show a picture of a cigarette to a baby, it immediately, <laughs> <laughs> it starts crying because it wants one. <laughs> yeah. That's but pretty yeah. good. Um, I think I lucked out because I never really got addicted to any one substance. Mm -hmm. I was like what people in recovery call a trash can. <laughs> like my my biggest addiction was just going and trying to find something to get addicted to. Sure. Luckily, I think, very luckily, I didn't like meth. <laughs> That's uh, a good thing. Because... I I'm definitely geared to liking it, but I enjoy sleeping way more, so that saved me. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a very pro. I would have stuck to the whole meth thing, now. but I like sleeping too much. Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm like all all the markers for enjoying meth, mm -hmm. but I just enjoy sleep too much. Yeah, well, it's good counterbalance, I would say. Dude, all right, we've come to it. Let's fucking all right. We'll rattle off some comedy pet peeves and then some comedy. Okay. Just fucking absolutely. I'll start, dude. Fucking all right. <laughs> Tell me. I had them all loaded too. Here's what. Here, this isn't the big one. I hopefully, hopefully, I can get back to the big one. Um, when uh, comics go up, open mic or show, hit a punchline, it doesn't work, and they acknowledge it, but not in a fun way. When they're like, "Dang, I thought that would work." Yeah, it's I know like, what you mean. Yeah, we fuck. We know. Yeah, it, yeah, dude. yeah. I know. It. Especially people who have been in it for a while. You know what? I also don't like is when they go up like. I don't know if it's necessarily pet peeve, and it's interesting because you know you don't want to offend another comic that's just getting started. But oftentimes, comics go up and say, "This is all new stuff." Oh, you know god. what I mean? Like, oh my god! Right before dude. they start their oh, set, oh my god, they go up and go. By the way, this is all new. By the way, I'm gonna bake in an excuse in case. This yeah, right. Go exactly. Well. It's like no, commit. Just go out and do it. Commit, and then it, the the comics that see you regularly are gonna know it's all new stuff. Yeah, and if they respect you, that's all that matters. And if like, it's if it's an open mic crowd. They get it. Exactly. Exactly they get right. It. I totally agree. I, and that Dude, drives absolutely. me. I hate it when people do that. Especially, like you said, experienced comics. Yes. Like an experienced oh, comic God. who you think you respect goes out there and opens a set with, this is all new stuff, so God, don't expect to dude. laugh. It's like, oh my God, you just stopped. Now you just tanked your set. In the tracks. You thought you, were gonna, you thought you totally were baking in. That. You were, thought you were baking in goodwill. All you've done is no, assured the, the people that it's not going to be funny. You also just like, exuding confidence on stage is such a massive part absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Like, Act Absolutely. as though you belong. Act as though your material is good and people will laugh. And if you go out there and you open up by saying, 
this is material shitty. You're yeah. not going to laugh at this. I haven't tried this. <laughs> That's how they're going to feel about it. The crowd, yeah. they, they feel that exact energy that you portray when you walk out there. And so much of that is energy shit, man. But um, And it, like, I mean, th- acknowledging something didn't work can be funny if you do it in a funny way. Mm-hmm. There was this guy I saw sure. in, in Madison and he, uh, he, he, I forget how he got, but he talked about a joke and it was like very clearly dated and he was like yeah you know i've been working on that for six months or something and then he went to another punchline he was like i shouldn't have told you how long i've been working on that joke when it didn't work <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like yeah okay like, sure that's well, pretty fun i did a set recently at the laughing skull and uh did a whole bit about small town dumb people yeah like just did a, like was ranting about like growing up in, growing up in effingham county the day-to-day things it was my first time ever doing it on stage i didn't tell everybody that before yeah. i did it but i'm up there ranting 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 and then I got to the end of it and like nobody laughed. Nobody was with me. Mm-hmm. They just all looked at me very dull and dumb. Yeah. And I go, see, give it up for yourself, ladies and gentlemen, small town dumb. And they yeah. all laughed. You know, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. got them with that. Yeah. Like, they got the fact that I was trying something. It didn't work, but I was right. quick enough to say, yeah, you must all be dumb because you don't even get the small town dumb yeah. bit, you know? And then uh, another pet peeve that comes to mind right away is the, uh, we talked about it earlier today is when you're bringing, when a host is bringing a comic up oh, and she goes, this next comic's really funny. First, I want to talk about Whatever it's going to be, Dude, X, Y, and Z. Whether anything it be the, serious. The Ukraine, whether it be Herschel Walker, whether it be abortion Trump, rights, whether abortion Fuck, rights. It's like it's not a rally. We're here to tell jokes Dude. and don't say your next comic coming to the stage is a very funny comic, Brennan Mitchell. But first, I would like to talk to you about AIDS. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. But like in exactly. A, all, a very serious sense, it's not a joke. Oh, it's the worst. It, and I think sometimes Brennan, dude, like whether it's conscious or subconscious, a lot of I think sometimes that's jealousy. Like a host might be jealous of your ability. Mm. Whether they're doing it consciously or subconsciously, they want you to be brought up in the worst possible manner possible. You think so? I think sometimes, dude. Ju- comics <sighs> are so weird and jealous, and like, I think yeah. comics are such weird fuckers. Like, yeah. we were talking about the other day about like. To me, I don't give a fuck if you want to follow me or if you don't want to follow me on Instagram. But right. don't come up to me like, "Hey, we should follow each other." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then tomorrow, I'm like, "Okay, I'll just check." Yeah, no, yeah, the motherfucker yeah. unfollowed yeah. me the next day. Yeah. It's like, what was that about? What Dude. did you think was going to happen? Did, did that make you a better comedian because you followed me and the unfollowed me? But that's some weird psycho jealous thing that is in people's heads that like my record. Yeah, for that. Yeah, like the time it took me to get from tab to my house. So yeah. ten minutes. Right. So the guy came up to me, followed him. Um, I had meant to ask him something and I didn't get a chance. I left early or something, or he left or something. I got home, went to message him. Sure. Already on follow Of course, me. of course. It's, <laughs> it, it happens all the time, but I think that that's that same thing. Dude, where it's pet like, peeve, by the way. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. yeah. Pet peeve. I, I it's think all about that, the ratio. Oh, for sure. I, and I think that, I think that whether they are conscious of it or not, sometimes it's a jealous thing or so, so not confident in their own material. They feel like they have to do a political rant. So, yeah. that, so that they can say, see, I'm yeah. knowledgeable. See, I can yeah. public speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I can't I, make it funny. Exa- but. <laughs> exactly. Dude, exactly right. Which, I mean, I have the same problem. But, yeah. but no, in, in all seriousness, in all seriousness that it's, uh, oftentimes I see that where a comic, a host, will go up and do five minutes and not get a laugh and then go to bring up a comic. But first, let me rant. Like, I'm going to save Fuck. what I just did for five minutes by showing you guys I'm knowledgeable about a certain field that I feel passionately about. And now here's a comedian. It's like the worst fucking. I don't know how you can do that as a host. I'll give I'll give the backstory to it real quick for the thousands of people listening to this right now. <laughs> I was doing this set. What up, T-Mail? What up, JB? Yeah, dude. <laughs> what up, Terrence? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. So I got brought up at this. Uh, I miss those guys. I, but go dude, ahead. Sorry. Fuck it. I miss them. Uh, got brought up 
the lady was like, oh, I'm going to bring up this next comment, but first, and then she went on a, like, no shit, five-minute rant about Herschel Walker in the Senate race and <laughs> all this stuff, and, like, very seriously. And I was, like, I was ready to go up. Like, my phone was recording and yeah, stuff, and yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, fuck. So, I, you know, five minutes, and then she's like, please give it up for your next, like, not even a good segue, <laughs> just like, please give it up for your next comedian, Brennan Mitchell. And, uh, like, I was panicking the whole time because I was like, I don't know what to do. So I get up on stage and I just go, Herschel, Herschel, Herschel. <laughs> it's all I could think to do. Um, but, yeah, I can't stand You know why you did that? Because you're a comedian. Because you thought, what, what, what's, the irony? Yeah. Well, yeah, what's the irony here? I was like, what's, yeah, I was like, okay, I, I, I absolutely risk tanking this entire set or I have faith in the audience yeah. knowing it's a comedy show. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's like, it's, um, I'm not going to say the place. It's kind sure. of like a coffee shop vibe. Mm -hmm. It's like very liberally, but like also kind of thing. And a lot of snaps, not a lot of laughs. No, 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 it's laughs. It's, it's <laughs> okay, a great okay, space. Cool, it's a great cool. space. But like in terms of when I've done coffee shops, I usually bomb. But when I do this place, which isn't a coffee shop, just the same vibe, I crush. Like, hmm. and it's sure. just, it's interesting. So, um, pet peeve, uh, p people who do not come out more than like once a month. Yeah, sure. Calling themselves comics and getting booked <laughs> on it, fucking everything. Yeah. And then, and then fucking bombing. Yeah. No, that's and, frustrating. I don't, but I don't understand how they get booked. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know how you get booked unless you're know. constantly out there working material. You get good recordings over time. Right. And then you take those recordings, send them to places. Yeah. Like, I can only speak personally. Like, that's how I have gotten booked at places when I've gone and done comedy. Yeah. Just, you well, you're work. saying you, like, emailed almost every club in the oh, country absolutely. you could think of and sure. Gotham got back yes, to you. Yes, that's exactly that's right. That's the hustle. It's literally, I mean, I, when I tell you, like, over the course of that week, I sent, like, a thousand. Yeah. Like, top to bottom, every, yeah. every club I could think of sent, like, 15 minutes worth of my jokes. And like you said, it was the one the one place that got back to me. So it happened to be Gotham Comedy Club. So I pulled the fucking trigger. But I agree with you that there there the only counter argument I would make to your pet peeve is material intensive comics. Mm -hmm. Like people like you are great at ranting, and you're great at like off the cuff. I guess like what did you like when you go up in uh, the Herschel Walker thing? Obviously, that's yeah. hysterical. But like. Riffing, you're yeah, you're yeah. a natural riffer. Yeah, I think that that's something that comes innately to you, and I think that me too. If I find myself in a bad place, I can start riffing and just right, bullshitting yeah, yeah, yeah. and talking about whatever. But like, I don't even know that I've met a comic personally, but I like Norm Macdonald. Yeah, like I've heard stories about Norm. Like, at least he felt you wouldn't see Norm at Mike's. Like right. he didn't show up to the store and run his set every week, every night of the week. He said he was so material intensive. Yeah, that he'd have to. It would take him so long to write stuff. That when he finally had enough, he felt like ten minutes worth. He would go and do it, you know. Right, so, right. So, but no, I agree with you. Like, a lot of people like to. When I first started doing comedy, and I started telling people I was doing comedy, everybody else is a, com a comic because mm -hmm. they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I do open mics too." Yeah, yeah. They yeah. haven't done open mics since two thousand seven. Right. But they they tell people in their day to day life, "Oh, I do stand up right. comedy. I'm an open micer." There was a bartender in, on Tybee. That like when I went to the bar and uh, he was like you weren't here the other night for whatever trivia or whatever I'm like yeah I was doing open mics oh I do open mics all the time yeah I'm like no you don't yeah because yeah. I do open mics all the yeah. time and I've yeah. never seen you at a fucking open mic in my life so it's just I agree it is it's weird but it's like I don't know they're losers I don't let it get to you, yeah. you know I, mean, I mean we're losers too oh but. yeah God, <laughs> different God, type God of losers. knows but we're a loser we're an active loser active losers yeah. yes we fail actively yeah sure at least but at least we try yeah. No, that's a good pet peeve, man. I yeah, dude, I can't like. What are oh, some other man. good ones? 
Was that what was the big one you wanted to say? I think that was the gotcha, big one. Yeah. Is like people who don't come out but get booked sure, sure. and and are fucking cocky about it. Yeah, it's they'll tough. go and they'll bomb. But oh, dude, one of my favorites is like, all right, so like somebody who doesn't come out very much, they'll like they'll get booked on a show with me mm-hmm. or something. They'll go up, they'll bomb, and then or like you know do like it's like a tepid set sure. or like an all right set. They sure. come off and they'll be like, dude, great crowd. <laughs> all right. Or the reverse is like, damn, what a shitty crowd. I and I'll exactly say, I'll save that response for the best things about comedy. Yeah, but, right. No, uh, that's dude, a, like people being like, like blowing punchlines, not remembering their material, yeah. like mind fucking themselves into thinking they did good or just doing bad and knowing they did bad, yeah. but then being like pissed off about it. Yeah. There's nothing worse than the comic that just did like on the other, the flip side, a comic that, you know, did really good and they come off and go, oh, I bombed, I bombed, I bombed. No, They're all me. negative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but like part of that is like, do you, I don't know if that's a defense mechanism. I, you know what I mean? Like, are you doing that because you're afraid no, no, no. people around I'm, you are going to see you as that way? So you want to get I'm, ahead of it? No, no, no. I think I'm very realistic, mm-hmm. and I think my peers are too nice. Mm. Like, I'll do yeah. shows where I for sure bombed. Like, I'll listen yeah, back to yeah, the yeah. tape, and I'll be like, no, I bombed. I think different people at different levels of comedy have different ideas of sure. what bombing is. And I don't fully subscribe to this theory, but Anthony Gerber would always tell me, he's like, if you're not killing, you're bombing. Mm. I don't fully commit to that. I think there are like maybe five iterations sure. of a set or something like that. If I do, it's kind of it's kind of one of those things. It's like, okay, if I go up and do five minutes and I bomb the entire time, that's a bomb. I also yeah, consider yeah, yeah. if I go up and only my last joke before I leave works. That's a bomb. But it's a better bomb. It's a, it's than, a bad, It's not like same. going up first joke crushing and nothing else. I yes. would prefer the the, the opposite. Latter, yeah, yeah. But it's a bomb. It is. It's a oh yeah. But like I measure a bomb by like when you lay down in bed that night. Like what like do you feel like a piece of shit loser? Like you should quit comedy. Every night. That's a bomb. <laughs> you know, that's night. a real, real bomb. But like, even when I do well, but, but when you do, dude, I feel like when you do well, you just fucking know it. And I, I think what you said too, about peers being too nice. <clears throat> I oftentimes think like, obviously me and you're the exception. I consider you a good, a good buddy. Like we're good buddies. We're, we're good, good buddies. comedy friends. Sure. But Buzz, there's a lot pals. of people out there. They don't know what else to say other than good set. Yeah. So you get off stage. They're like, good set. Yeah. Give you knocks. It's yeah. like, do yeah. I want to punch this guy right now? Because I just yeah. bombed my dick off yeah, for yeah, five yeah. minutes, and he just told me good set. Is he trying? Sometimes, to? sometimes it's new guys, and that's a yeah. little bit more passable. They just don't know. They yeah. don't know how. They, they don't, don't know, know how to, They don't. People don't know what to say when you bomb. Like, what are they gonna walk up? That was shitty. Which yeah. I can appreciate. Like, dude, I I'll do that up, to my friends. Exactly. Dude. No, you, for dude. sure. What? Like, uh, I think. Uh, what the hell? Uh, Iceberg Shrimp. His yeah. I just bombed series. Yeah. This is hysterical because it's yeah. comics owning it. Like, yeah. And they're even making jokes they're about... like right outside the bar, right exactly, after you're like, Fuck, exactly. man. But they, but they make it funny. Like, yeah. it's a recovery almost. But I also think there's... there's Like, one of the funny... Like, the funniest thing in the world to me is bombing. Like, yeah. the irony of, like, getting on stage... I think Norm MacDonald said something very similar to this. I'm a huge Norm fan. And I, I'm sure I quote him all the time without even... No, it's just in my... I, I love him. But uh, he said something along the lines of exactly that, where it's like... You get on stage in front of a group of people and you want to make them as happy as possible. Yeah. You want them to have a wonderful night. Yeah. And they hate you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Like, it's like, it's not like a little bit. It's yeah. like they fucking want, it, want you to die. They want yeah. you to get off stage and then it's they like, wanna, they just want to get on with their yeah, lives. The irony of like, I'm up here to try and improve your life and I'm making it worse. Yeah. yeah <laughs> as yeah, I yeah. go. Like, yeah. I think that's fucking hysterical. The, the humor in it. And uh, there's a, uh, speaking of Norm, there's a great Norm story is when he would kill kill he wouldn't come out of the green room mm-hmm. but if he bombed 
He'd go wait at the exit <laughs> yeah, and shake yeah. everybody's hand as they left. <laughs> so that's just like the most hard ass thing you could ever think. You that's know, it's such like, a Norm McDonald exactly. Thing to do. But it's also like uh, when your peers give you feedback. Like, sure, maybe they're saying good set because they don't know what else to say. But you know, like you know, if you bombed or or like you said too, is like uh, you do a, you do a five minute set and the last joke hits. At least you can say like, okay, I won them over. They hated me. Yeah. But something I did. Maybe there, if I had more exactly time, right. like, they hated me, but I got them. Yeah. Or, but I've also had sets where like, I've done like a three minute rant and like nobody's laughing with me. But then I get to the end of it and everybody cheers and starts laughing. And you're like, whoa, that's not yeah. when I expected that to happen. But, right. Or maybe when I'm doing it, I think I've lost them. And then you get right. to the end of it and they're still there with you and you're like, yeah, oh yeah, shit, yeah. I thought I was bombing for three minutes, but they're right there. Right. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I, that, and that's something that you can only get from looking and getting feedback from the crowd, like the eyes. Like yeah. when you still have people's eyes all locked in, even if they haven't laughed in like two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, like me, I want to get to like the laughter. Right. It's like, oh shit, is this rush not it, going good? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is this not going good? But sometimes like sitting in that space, knowing you're a solid public speaker that can keep people's attention. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that's, I, I need to like, you know, now that we're just sitting here talking, I need to use that as a tool more. Be more willing to sit there in silence. Obviously like, you want everybody to fucking laugh when you get to the end of your bit, but dude, those are some of my favorite moments. Like I'll hit a hit a punchline very clearly, and nobody laughs. Yeah. I'll, I'll just sit. I'll stand there for a second, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'll make you sit in it too." Like, yeah, I don't yeah right. No issue here. We'll just hang out in this space, this weird limbo. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no doubt. I'm gonna make you feel it too. <laughs> but I like. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you were talking about that theater you did where the lights were blinding. You couldn't see oh, the yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah. I gauge a lot of that, like my set of like pacing is like I'm if if I have totally. an, an extended joke or just like a joke that has some like setup, like some some not punchlines, but there's like some setups that usually mm-hmm. get laughs, and I'm noticing they're not laughing at the setups. Yeah, I'll kind of like based on how I'm looking at these people, I'm like, okay, I know that I need to breeze through this a little quicker, or I can kind of pause here, but like getting to the punchline is much more essential. So you can't treat it the same way as if you hit a tag at a set where people are laughing and you can let the laughter go a little bit. What's amazing is the 3D chess that you play while you're up there that you don't even realize you're playing. You know what I mean? Like you're doing your material, but like, and you're not consciously, but you are like subconsciously taken. Like, I don't know. Sometimes if you're up there and you're doing a, a bit and maybe like the first three people here at the front row, they're just staring blankly at you. Oh God. But there's some there's somebody like three rows back who's like massive smile on their face. Yeah. Their eyes are locked yeah. in. Like that alone can be like fuck every like I'm gonna Yeah, you're commit. my focal point. Exactly. Now, I'm yeah. gonna commit for you and everybody else is gonna laugh because yeah. like, you know, yeah. it, it, they don't know that I'm committing it just for you. But dude, that was uh the lights there. Just that I had never ever experienced anything like that. It was a, it was honestly a shocker. Yeah. Getting up there and not being able to yeah. get the feedback from the crowd. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that's what it's like when you do like massive theaters. Yeah. Like, I wonder if that is how it is where you don't even see the crowd, but like I was I don't think to, so. I don't think so. I was so used to bars and clubs like yeah. even Gotham like Yeah. You can see every single face in that fucking place. I think that's just like they didn't change their setup for yeah, comedy. They're, yeah. Like you said, it was, it was like, like an improv thing. Mm-hmm. I think they probably didn't change their setup because sure. I went and saw like Tom Zagura yeah. at a uh, uh, Johnny Mercer, and he for sure could see the crowd. Maybe right. not all the way back, uh-huh. but like definitely first, you know. Yeah. See, I could first couple. I could rows. not see the first row. Like that'd be so weird. It was bizarre. Like I said, the ho- the host went up there to do crowd work and was like, "Yeah, tell me what you people look like because yeah, <laughs> I can't see you, motherfuckers." <laughs> Describe at all. yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I can roast you. Yeah. No shit. That's hilarious. Speaking of like, do you have you ever done roasts? Do you do yes, roasts? Um, That's right. Last time yeah. you were up here, you were going back to do a roast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, I've yeah. never participated in a roast. Dude, there's so much fun. I, I think the, I think it's a great like writing exercise, but I don't know like 
It's great. I feel because bad every roasting time, a motherfucker. Every I time it's like the my best roast jokes are towards my friends. So sure, like, of course. So like Mike Flowers one time. This last time. So it's a weird story, but it was Caleb Brewer's roast, and Rath Nasty was supposed to make it, and he couldn't. So this is, Caleb, I, this. I go this. I go, and Caleb's like, "Hey, like, will you be on the roast?" And I was like, "Sure." Everybody's showing up, and they're like, "All my best bits are about Rath." And I was like, "Okay, I'll just be Rath." <laughs> And then I like I go up as Wrath, you know. Everybody's when they're like somebody's like Wrath Nasty's here, and I'll go. I was like, that's me. And like so the crowd kind of knew what was going on. <laughs> if you were in a comic, you'd had no fucking yeah, right, idea what was yeah. happening. So I go up as Wrath. I get Caleb and Mike to like help me to the stage. <laughs> I get up there and I like get it up for my good friend Mike Flowers. That's like Mike, some weird. Dream. Mike Flowers is so out of shape. His neck has a beer belly, and like you know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. The yeah. best roast joke I've ever written was um, so. Melanie Golding, she's a host down there. Really nice lady, g- good comic, and she uh, she was hosting. Integral to the Savannah scene. Absolutely. And she she has this thing where she likes to brag that she can twerk to any song, so I go up there and I was like, ah, Melanie, you know, Melanie brags that she can twerk to any song. Hey, Melanie, how about you twerk to that song Elliot Smith wrote right before he killed himself? <laughs> <laughs> that's like my favorite joke I've ever written. That's a pretty good one. No, that's funny, man. I, like I said, roast I've, are fun. I have never participated in a roast. I, like uh, I know Luke Bentley's a comic up here, yeah, and he does the roast. He like he's like the roast master. He's the yeah. whatever. What the hell is the guy? Uh, Jeff Ross. Yeah, he's the Jeff Ross of Atlanta. He does all the roast stuff. And we connected just recently, like ran into him at the Laughing Skull. Did the follow each other on Instagram? He still follows me. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, he didn't just. What a great guy. The next day, yeah. What a what that's a normal, all I need to know. What a normal person. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's uh, I've never done it. I've never signed up for it, but I think it is this a roast battle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, those are yeah definitely a little different. See, that's what like, I mean. I guess I yeah. mean the roast battle. I yeah, feel I like haven't that done would a roast be, battle. I've never done anything like that. I, I think it'd be an awesome exercise for writing. Yeah. But like, I'm not the nicest guy on the planet, but I would on. I think I'd have a hard time yeah, yeah. literally roasting some other comic that if I, especially if I don't respect them. That's you like, know what that's I mean. What like, I've always thought about is like if I get because like they want to do it in Savannah bracket style. Yeah, and I'm like, I, there's some people that I could go up there and just look across from. Sure. They'd say their first rogue joke, and I'd be like, I have nothing because I don't respect you. Exactly. As like, a person I could roast or a you, comic, I'd have no problem roast battling you because I respect yeah. you. But like someone, I legitimately like, I'd have trouble like. Yeah. Oh man, I don't like this person. How am I going to make fun of him? Yeah. No, you know? I genuinely like weird, don't like you. It's like a reverse psychology yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I. It's and uh, like. Afraid is not the right thing either, but I'm like, I'd be afraid to do a damn roast battle. Like, obviously, you write your material, you have it right there, you're ready to go, but like... It's like 8 Mile. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. like 8 Mile, but I feel like I'd be better off the cuff than I would with written material. Somebody yeah. might come out there and just fucking flame you. Yeah. You know? But well, it's kind of Yeah, especially if you don't know who it is, oh, and you're right, just like, exactly. fuck, I gotta... Exactly, yeah. I gotta pick, but pick I think, up on But I think it's like, uh, just like anything else, if you feel like you shouldn't do it, like, maybe try it. I almost you know like, what I mean? I almost, like, sometimes, I feel like I would default to, like, the norm style of roasting where it's like, yeah. ah, Jeff Ross, he's got the eye of an eagle, the ear of a hawk, yes. and the nose of a whatever. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, this fella's from, uh, it's for the birds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> He did that whole thing. That was for Bob Saget's roast. Yeah. yeah Whenever yeah, he yeah. just, read, like, told all these legendary old joke book jokes. Man. Yeah. That was, that was a power, that's a power move, you know, if you don't like I don't know that Norman had ever been in a roast or anything like that. It was funny how he did that. Dude, and everybody, like, you know, they're familiar for the most part with the Comedy Central roast. I'll tell you, the best ones are the ones on YouTube that that are all comics. So there was one, it's uh, the roast of Rich Voss. It's Uh like 2017. So and they like do it. Funny. Do they do it at the cellar? They do it like the cellar. One I watched yeah. was the roast of Jim Norton. They uh-huh. did it at a Caroline's. Sure. 
those ones where it's like because you know with the Comedy Central roast there's always like celebrities mm-hmm. and sure. friends of the person and meanwhile the comics are writing the jokes for the celebrities exact, that go up dude, there but yeah when it's all comics it gets yeah. fucking yeah. wild so the best roasts I've ever seen are the Howard Stern roasts yeah like the yeah. old uh, when they first like the went to serious stuff yeah, yeah yeah but they'd have like I mean, like, the roast of Artie Lang is, like, a legendary oh, fucking yeah, roast. Yeah, Gilbert yeah. Gottfried comes yeah. in. Uh, fucking, mm, fucking, uh, who the hell? Obviously, all those guys that were friends with him. Like, uh, just all these funny comics. He used to, Artie used to call them the hack pack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the whack pack. Or, yeah, yeah. Like, the blue-collar comedy tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, uh, the, they were supposed to be the killers of comedy, but it's, like, Bob Levy. Yeah. And, like, Sal Gavernali, Richard Christie, like, all those guys. But... The brutality of the Howard Stern roast yeah. is unmatched. Yeah, yeah. Like it just is like they'll make jokes about like Artie's like Artie's dad fell off a roof mm-hmm. and was like a paraplegic for the rest of his life. Like a guy's entire yeah, yeah. six minute yeah. roast was about Artie's dad falling off yeah. a ladder. Like it was like it's, <laughs> it's insane. Brutal, yeah. yeah, it's insane how yeah. brutal it is. It's difficult to even grasp how brutal it is. And the funniest fucking thing was uh there's a, one of the members of the whack pack on the Howard Stern show. I'm a I don't like Howard Stern now, but on mm-hmm. YouTube, like if you do the right kind of hunting, you can find like old, old clips from like late '90s, early 2000s Howard Stern show when it's just gold. Yeah, and uh, it's a whack pack member called Eric the Midget, and he's like maybe <laughs> two foot, two and a half foot tall. Like his hands are fused. You know, he's just like completely fucked, and he wants to be roasted. Yeah, and Howard's like, listen, like I cannot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. let these guys loose on you because yeah. they're going to say all the worst. Probably. He's like, no, let me do it. I just, it was funny that. A guy like that was begging and begging yeah, and begging yeah. to get roasted. Thank God they never did. Because even Stern is like, no. yeah, even Howard Stern is like, oh, we can't do that. No, 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 no. no. But no, I love all that stuff, dude. That's a, uh, it's interesting. I like, I enjoy watching the roasts and roast battles. But I don't know. I think I'm, uh, I don't know that I would be good at, yeah, using the subject of my material being another individual. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. the subject of my material is so often social commentary or like sports bullshit or like. Just random, but like... Now you have to be mean to an individual. Yeah, focusing yeah. on an individual and like putting them on a pedestal to write, spend time writing material about them. I think right. it's hard for me to gra- wrap my head around. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think the... It's definitely a skill you could try to get and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's sure. like, it's kind of one of those things that's probably not as necessary. But the nice thing about roast is you have the dais, you know who you're, who the person yeah, getting no, roasted that's a different, is. Roast you battle's can, you different have than time. roast. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I think a roast is fun because it's not an individual. Like, you go up and obviously the roast guy is the, the subject, but ideally, if we're doing, like, let's say Townsend's getting roasted. Yeah. Me and you are going to go up. I'm going to do some material about you. Do some right, 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 right. You yeah. know, it's, it's not just an individual you're doing all your shit right. about. You also it's, have time. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right. Good. Favorite things about comedy. I'm Favorite gonna t- things I'm going to take comedy. this from Doug Stanhope. Sure. <laughs> I love this line. He's like... The the second best thing about comedy is killing. The first best thing is sitting in the back with your friends and going, "This guy sucks." <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's pretty damn good, man. That's that's tough to follow. My my favorite thing about comedy, honestly, why I got like, I've always been a writer. I've written yeah. forever. The yeah. only reason I ever originally got into comedy was so I get instant feedback on shit I wrote. Right. Like if I wrote skits or wrote things and I thought they're funny. The only way for me to know was to go to Stafford's on a Tuesday, right, go up there and right. rant about it and see if people laugh and or go to Totally Awesome Bar, go up there and rant about it. So when I first started, it just was instant feedback. And why I love it, though, is like it comes back to sports a little bit. Like I always had that outlet, mm-hmm. football, wrestling, rugby in college, where it's like 
there's that adrenaline rush, there's that preparation, mm-hmm. there's practice, there's repetitions. Then when it finally comes to the point to show up, you got to show the fuck up. And there's a lot. You can put as much on the line as you can mentally afford to put on the line when you go and do it. But then you you get that sense of fulfillment from it, man. It's like a it's a it's an art form well worth pursuing. Yeah, for you sure. Know what I mean, yeah. it's like it's like you get you get feedback. And what's funny too, I think. Uh, Comic to comic, it's difficult to grasp, but for this average citizen walking around, like when mm-hmm. you tell them you do stand up, they look at you like, whoa. Yeah, why? Like, whoa. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you? But no, they go like, wow, like, you, how do you get on stage yeah. in front of people and talk? And for me, I think I'm just lucky. I never yeah. had to worry about the public speaking thing. It never yeah. bothered me. But like, I think that that is a big thing, is it's, it's an outlet for the tools that I was lucky enough to inherit over the course of my life have yeah. really helped me in this art form. Yeah. Like I love guitar and I love music, but I'm shit on the guitar. Right. Like I love painting, but I can't draw. Right. You know, like I yeah. love admiring all those forms of art, but comedy was a, an ex- a form of self-expression that I felt I fit in very well. Yeah. And uh, maybe that far be it for me to say, but I genuinely felt that way. And it was also something I always, I always really, really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like grew up, uh, we've talked before but like i mean i know we're probably trying to wrap it up just with some of our favorite things but like cosby yeah like growing up watching cosby or carl best thing they ever have in the comedy or richard pryor like but <laughs> <laughs> but growing up watching these guys like i didn't even know what the hell it was they were doing like i didn't mm-hmm. know how to say like what the hell is that but it was something i always always wanted to do but then throughout your life when people ask you what do you want to be when you grow up like, that's never the answer I gave. Yeah. I'd give some bullshit answer. I don't know. I want to be a detective. I want to be a surgeon. I want to be a historian. You know, it's like, meanwhile, that's something I always, always wanted to do. And it's as easy as going and signing up for an open mic and just fucking yeah, doing it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So yeah, very I accessible. The accessibility, yeah, the accessibility yeah. and the fulfillment you get from doing it and the, the challenge, man. That's, that's are all the, those are all the things I love about it. And it gives you an outlet that is truly a challenge and... I love it, man. And you get to meet people like you. Yeah. Total assholes, you know? Yeah, fucking... Do you know what I always said to people when they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up? What's that? Uh, Somebody who got paid to ask people what they wanted to be when they grew up. (laughs) That's a pretty good comeback. (laughs) No doubt. Um, Dude, my absolute favorite thing that can happen in comedy. It's only happened once, but it's the fucking best. Mm -hmm. All right? Comic you don't like is on a show with you. Goes up and bombs comes off and acknowledges it and is like man this crowd sucks like all the excuses Uh you go up especially if you can do it right after them and crush light it on fire oh yeah and come off state dude no better feeling that's the best and it's petty as fuck but it's there's no no no, that's the best that's the the fucking touchdown yeah that's the fucking sack of the quarterback the flex over top it's the that's the hole in one oh yeah it's the hole in one it's the bang ball man that's good stuff that's I totally agree. It's it's so funny how <laughs> competitive. That's another thing that I know we, we we could probably do this podcast for about seven hours. Yeah. But uh, another thing that's funny is like, oftentimes, uh, we've done a lot of talking about comedy and sports on this, but oftentimes I feel like I interact with comedians or comics that never partook in any competitive space until they got to comedy. Mm. So there's like certain unwritten rules that come in a level of competition that like they just don't grasp or they right, don't see right, or they right. don't understand the level of competition and it's like I don't know I think that's a really interesting thing in comedy is you interact with people that have never been competitive before until they discover they're pretty good at writing jokes right right so it's almost like I don't respect them because they don't they don't get it they don't right, get what, yeah. like how to be competitive and like like a lot of undercutting or like the the social media thing the follow and yeah. unfollow yeah like that's a competition in their head yeah like yeah, I'm trying yeah. to get to a certain number 
and I want this motherfucker to give me a number, yeah, but yeah. I'm not going to give him a number. Right, it's like this yeah. weird competitive game yeah. that I think is kind of fun because... It's unsportsmanlike. It's unsportsmanlike, exactly. <laughs> but then the sportsmanlike thing to do is he just bombed his ass off. Watch this. I'm going right. to go light the room on fire right yeah, after yeah, him. Yeah. I don't have to say a word. Yeah. I don't have to follow a motherfucker anywhere on Instagram. It's just yeah. I'm going to go up and make people laugh. So I love that sort of stuff, man. What? What? <laughs> what? what? Why do you make it weird? Oh, I don't think I made it weird. Dude, we've been fucking, we've been going steady for four hours, and you just got to do some weird shit like that and make it weird. Whip my dick out and say what? Dude, I don't like it. <laughs> that Cosby, <laughs> that Cosby talk got you going, dude. It's I know. And then it, then we go to Louis C.K. right afterwards. If you want to really get freaky, is that door locked? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, no, dude, this was so much fun, man. Thank oh, you. Oh, it was for a blast, Brennan. Totally, um, man. This is great. I can't wait till we do it next time. I agree. I wish we lived closer because we could just yeah. do it all the time. But no, it's a special. It was a treat, man. I'm really glad you're up here. I think we'll have a lot of fun tonight at the Lapis yeah, Skull. Yeah, fuck Get yeah, up dude. There, yeah. Have a great set for sure, man. We'll crush it. It's all awesome. Right. Dude, thanks so much, bro. Thank you, Brennan. And out. Stop that